This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. It is the way that we begin all of our final shows of the week, by giving you an opportunity to ask questions about anything. I'm Frank Morano. Welcome to The Other Side of Midnight. We will begin this hour, as we do just about uh, each and every first hour of our final show of the week, with... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. This hour is meant to be pretty fun. It's also meant to be unpredictable. And it's meant to give you an opportunity to ask questions about anything you are genuinely curious about. If you're curious about my opinion on anything be it a political matter, a societal matter, a sociological matter, this is now the time to ask it. If you want to know a historical fact, who my third grade teacher was, or uh, who I voted for in the 2004 presidential election, or whatever the case may be, now's the time to ask it. If you have an inside radio question about something that goes on within our show, or you're curious about this, or you're curious about that, Now's the time to ask at 800-848-9222. We used to be able to give out a prize for this hour, but uh, Kenneth and Matt Blaze and Alex Barnard ruined it by continuing for three weeks in a row to pick as the best question who uh, they would pick these weird sexual questions, which weren't even that good of a question. And I think people complained and sure enough, Management said, okay, you're not allowed to give away anything anymore for, until further notice. So I have this on my agenda for our meeting, our post-show meeting in six hours. So hopefully we can bring back a prize for whomever comes up with the best question. But the one prize we are able to offer you is if you come up with the best question, then we will give you an opportunity to ask another question if you want one. 800 1-800-848-9222. Two, two, uh, we have two open lines, which is very rare. See, you do away with a prize, and all of a sudden, caller volume diminishes. Usually, as soon as this uh, hour begins, the lines are immediately full. Let me begin with Pete in Piscataway. It's that away. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Uh, years from now, how will this man be remembered? As a pretty good guy or as a not-so-good guy? You know, it's such an interesting question, and I've wondered about that a great deal myself. I think a lot depends on what he does in the next four or five years. And uh, my guess is uh, that he's going to be remembered similarly, uh, but not quite as bad, to Roger Ailes, which is someone that was a visionary, to someone that made an empire, and someone that transformed professional wrestling, but as somebody that was a bit of a scoundrel. So I think that uh, a lot of Vince McMahon's problems are his own making. I don't think that 
that takes away from what he's been able to do in the world of professional wrestling. So I, I think his legacy is going to be very mixed. And I think he's someone that's going to be very viewed negatively for how he treated people on a character level, which is really important. But I think he's going to be viewed very positively for what he did for professional wrestling and sports entertainment. And look, if the XFL turns out to be a major competitor to the NFL, I think you'll have to give him credit for that as well because that's largely a product of his vision as well. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Arroyo in New Hampton. Hello, Arroyo. Yes, hi, Frank. Uh, First-time caller, nice talking to you. Ah, nice to talk with you. Welcome aboard. Yeah, I just had a question just regarding taxes. I I was just wondering, why is it that we have to pay lawyers and or accountants to get our taxes, uh, you know, taken care of our taxes with the IRS when we, why is it that they can't deal with it with us, ourselves? Uh, Arroyo, that is an absolutely brilliant question, and uh, it's one that I've talked about a great deal over the years. The answer is there's no reason. There's no reason except what I'm about to mention. Now, let's say uh, – what kind of business are you in, Arroyo? I had a car wash or a detailing business. Okay. Well, so uh, you're in a little bit different situation than most Americans. Most Americans are like me. They they work for a company. The company gives them a W-2. That that company automatically will, you know, deduct taxes at the end of the year. And if uh, there's any disparity in terms of what uh, – what the government owes me, then they'll they'll have to send me a refund. If there's any disparity right. in what I owe the government, I have to send them a little bit more. Now, the the only reason the government will know if I owe them more or they owe me more is because they have records of my income and my taxes are being deducted. Now, in almost in a lot of other countries, Japan, New Zealand, a lot of other right. countries in Western in the Western world. They have return-free filing, and if you want, you can file a tax return, but they just say, all right, well, you're considered automatically filed. We are automatically getting your income data, and if you want to challenge our estimation of what we owe you or what you owe us, you can challenge it. Most people don't. Um, I think it is an absolute travesty that we don't have return-free filing in this country. And there's been a lot of good folks in Congress, Republican and Democrat, that have tried to change this. But what happens is they run, they run up against the buzzsaw of H&R Block, of the accountants, of the tax lobby, because paying people to do our taxes is big business. And if all of a sudden and, – and I'm just going to disconnect you, Arroyo, because we have a lot of feedback there – If all of a sudden we had um, a system where you didn't have to file a tax return like New Zealand does and Japan does and a bunch of other countries, what would happen to H&R Block? What would happen to all these companies that make big money paying – having you pay them to do your tax return? What would happen? Well, we know what would happen, and so do they. That's why they spend a great deal of money on lobbying and campaign finance donations, making sure that there's never a change to that. 
800-848-9222. That is 1-800-848-9222. John is in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, what's up, Frank? Um, so I got a hypothetical for you. I'm ready. If, um, if you, let's say if you gave up your wife and your son, you would end all disease and world hunger on earth. Would you do that? Would you sacrifice them? What, meaning have them be dead? No, not dead. Just give them up. Well, what does give them up mean? Can't see them anymore. Can't talk to them. Can't see them ever again. Um, you know what it is? I, um, you know, that's a very good question, right? And I, I, you know, I think, um, I, look, if I was convinced that, uh, that world disease really would end, including for my son, because, you know, obviously I don't want him getting a disease or something, then I, I might go along with that. But you know what? I'm not really convinced and I tend to be an optimist. I'm not really convinced that if I were to make this sort of a bargain with God or with the devil or with whomever, a genie, I'm not really convinced that humanity wouldn't find some other way to screw itself up. So I, I kind of uh, I would probably not do it. And people may think that's selfish and maybe it is. But I just have a pessimistic view that humanity would find some other way of screwing things up, even if I cured all the diseases. I really do. Uh, I So why should I be deprived of seeing my son and my wife uh, when I feel like they could find a way to screw things up? Because maybe then, maybe then, you know, we see how close we are to nuclear war right now. Maybe then finally we'll move towards nuclear war because you have a whole bunch of people that control nuclear weapons feeling invincible all of a sudden. So no, I'm not going to make that uh, I'm not going to make that bargain. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Bill is in Huntington. Hello Bill. There are things on the map of the world that are said to resemble things like Long Island is said to look like a fish and Italy is supposed to look like a boot, and Korea looks like a bunny rabbit, and Oklahoma looks like a pot with a handle. What do you think looks most like what it's supposed to look like? Um, well, I think Italy looks a lot like a boot, right? I mean, uh, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty on the money. Um, in terms of uh, let's see, what else? What else are um, I don't know um, map map shapes. I, I don't know. I, I'd have to I'd have to do some scrolling around an atlas. But I'll I'll say uh, I'll say Italy. I, I think that Italy looks a great deal like a boot, right? Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Eddie is in Ocean County. Hello, Eddie. Hi, Frank. Long time no speak. Um, I just wanted to ask you when. I was filling out my ballot the other day, and there were a few races that didn't have uh, any competition. There was just one person running for the office, and I was, like, not sure what to do. And I was feeling like, you know, they're not giving me a choice. I should just back up, like, whatever they're telling me to do. Like, what do you do in such a situation? Well, it depends, right? So if if it's somebody that I really like, then I will still vote for them. Uh, if it's somebody that uh, that I don't like – and, you know, it, again, in my, in my uh, races – I have one, two, 
three, four, five people that are running unopposed uh, that I'm going to vote for. And, um, I, you know, a lot of them are folks that I'm not necessarily that crazy about. So what I will generally do is write in someone uh, for those races to, one, send a message about uh, the kind of person that I think should have that office instead of the person that has it, but also uh, because it's kind of a statement to me that I believe in competitive elections. So uh, for I uh, in those races, I would then... If it's somebody that I don't like, I would write in someone. If it's somebody that I do like, I would vote for them. All right, Eddie. Hope that's helpful. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Larry on Long Island. Hello, Larry. Frank, you're in a tough position right now. Oh, boy. You have to make a choice. You have to make a choice. This is very important. You have to have, get involved in a makeout session, and there's three people to choose from, who are you going to choose? Joy Behar, Whoopi Goldberg, or Don Lemon? <laughs> uh, so I have to pick one of those three. You are forced. You oh. can't get out of it. Well, you know, it's funny. My, um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you my thought process. My initial thinking is that I would go with Joy Behar because while I don't find her necessarily physically attractive, I I used to listen to her show when she was on WABC in New York, and I I thought she was kind of funny at times, so maybe she has a sense of humor that I could find somewhat attractive. But then I think about Whoopi Goldberg, right? Whoopi Goldberg, who I also don't find attractive. I'm I'm discounting Don Lemon because, you know, know, I'm pretty heterosexual and I don't have any interest in men at all. But Whoopi Goldberg, while I don't find her attractive, she was able to date Ted Danson for for years and cause Ted Danson to make some pretty remarkable changes about his career because of their relationship. So Ted Danson is a guy that was with some of the most beautiful women in the world, both before then and after then. And I have to think if she could have that sort of a hold on Ted Danson, that she's got to have something that's romantically, if not magical, something that's worth writing home about. Whereas I don't know that Joy Behar has that. Well, back then, uh, Whoopi Goldberg, I mean, going back, she was actually attractive. Yeah, uh, I, you know, I'll be honest. I never really found her attractive, even thirty years ago. But um, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, romance is just as much. It's not just about looks, right? It's a lot of it. It's about an attitude. A lot of it is about skill. A lot of it is about uh, practice. And I have to think that if Whoopi Goldberg could have Ted Danson turned around so much uh, that that he was making these kind of career decisions, including leaving Cheers, number one show on TV at the time, then she must have known a thing or two. So I'm going with Whoopi in the scenario that you just laid out. All right, we're going to continue with your questions in a moment. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
Uh, the great Rick Astley. Rick rolling all of you on the other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Uh, my wife and I are watching Ted Lasso right now. We're uh, almost done with season two, which is the most recent season that's available. And I got to say, this show is just wonderful. I, and it's season two is very different than season one, but in the one way it's the same is that it still strikes an emotional chord with the viewer on so many different layers. And the last episode we saw, this song, this Rick Astley song, was integral to the plot. And yet, this is yet another episode. My wife and I watched it two days ago. Yet another episode where at the end of the episode... My wife and I are in tears. And this is like a silly comedy show. And it's just, I don't know how they've done it, but they have so managed to magically capture every single human emotion, uh, even if it involves using a Rick Astley uh, song. So I I resisted watching Ted Lasso for a long time because it was so trendy. And I don't like to watch anything that's that trendy. This show is just phenomenal. It's just it's great. I can't wait till season three. It's on Apple TV if you want to check it out. All right. We are in the midst of The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank. Ask Frank anything. anything. Ask Frank anything. Ask Frank anything. Answering your questions on any subject. 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Eric in Woodhaven. Hello, Eric. Hello, Frank. This Hello, is Eric. Derek. Uh, yeah, uh, I have a big question. I heard the other night, maybe maybe last week or whatever it was, um, that you were saying that if uh, Lee Zeltin gets elected governor, that you were totally against him coming in and firing Alvin Bragg. And you said because Alvin Bragg was legally elected by the people of Manhattan that he should not be removed. And I totally disagree with you. I don't care what your party is or whether he was appointed or elected. If he is not doing his So what's your question, uh, Eric? I get that you disagree. What's your question? The question is, the question is, you said, you said. Right. I know what I said. What's your question? And my question is, my question is, why shouldn't he be removed? Well, because he was elected to a four-year term, and no DA has ever been removed. And uh, for a DA to be, uh, I think, the solution, if you don't like the job Alvin Bragg is doing, and I don't like the job Alvin Bragg is doing, no, is to— No, if he's oh, okay, breaking so the Eric, law— no, he's not breaking, he's the breaking the law. law he's not breaking the law. He's not breaking the law. By not enforcing the law, okay, so he what, should be Eric, removed. Eric, so what law is he not enforcing? He's— he, Picking and choosing which laws he should he he should prosecute right. so and which laws he should. Every DA in the state does that. That's called prosecutorial discretion. Now, if you remove Alvin Bragg, that means you have to remove Eric Gonzalez. If you remove Eric Gonzalez, that means you have to mo- remove Melinda Katz. If you remove Melinda Katz, that means you have to remove Darcel Clark. In New York City alone, you're talking about removing four out of five DAs. Yes, so now think I about. I agree with that. Right. So right. Right. Not, so Eric. Not, Eric. Eric. Not, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna disconnect you because you're not interested in having a conversation. And you're interested in interrupting me while I'm trying to answer your question. Um, Eric, think about what you're saying. 
you're saying that a guy that's about to lose, and again, I'm voting for Zeldin, but a guy that's about to lose in in Manhattan, the Bronx, Queens, and Brooklyn should remove the democratically elected district attorneys in those counties because you don't agree and he doesn't agree with their prosecutorial decisions, that is a dangerous situation. At that point, we're no longer living in a democracy. We're living in a, a an elected dictatorship. And that is dangerous. And that's why it's never happened in New York. And so if you don't like Alvin Bragg, Don't vote for him. If you don't like Melinda Katz, don't vote for him. It's not for you, a voter in Long Island, Westchester, upstate New York, Staten Island, for instance, to rescue the voters in Manhattan from their own decisions. Because you know what would happen if Alvin Bragg ran again after that? He'd get elected. So you have to respect the results of elections. And I look, I'm voting for Zeldin and I like him on a personal level, but this is crazy what he's saying. I mean, it's and again, there's a reason in the um, 200 plus year history of New York State that this has never happened. And it's not going to happen. I mean, look, uh, we can pretend this is going to happen. And I know Zeldin gets a lot of attention by talking about this and maybe he gets some votes from people that don't like Alvin Bragg by talking about it. It's not going to happen. It's, he's never going to do this. Because if he were to remove the first elected black district attorney in Manhattan history, there would be literal riots in the streets. And he's not going to want riots on his watch. Not going to happen. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Stanley is in New Rochelle. Hello, Stanley. Yeah, listen, I want to ask you a question. Uh, when I was a kid, I was kind of disrespected by the people who did counseling at the high school and so on. And they never considered me. They had an expression back in the 60s called college material. They never regarded me as college material. I was what they call a late bloomer. That has nothing to do with women's undergarments, but uh, very just a late bloomer. Uh, and um, I, want to, I want to ask you a question. I ended up going to college, graduate school, and law school. Okay, I very much resented the way I was treated. When you were a kid, you seemed to have eclectic interests. Were you always like that? And were you respected by adults? And were you encouraged to do what you're now doing by anyone? Uh, yes, I would say when I was a child, I mean, again, it depends on what age you're talking about, but I was exactly the same as I am now. I mean, my interests were the same. My personality was the same. A lot of my friends were the same. So, no, I was exactly the same. And uh, especially in the high school level, which is what you're talking about, you know, in high school, I was on television, right? I had a, a very popular public access TV show that a lot of the adults in my sphere, uh, guidance counselors, teachers, they all watched. So, in high school, I was something of a celebrity, almost more so among adults than my peers, because among teenagers, a lot of the things that make you popular, you know, uh, uh, maybe being on the football team or uh, getting girls or whatever else, that's, um, you know, that counts for a lot with them. But adults were more impressed with um I don't know, pithy commentary on television. And so they would all watch me on television. So I was very respected uh, by adults. But as for, in terms of what kind of uh, child I was, I was exactly the same. No difference. No difference at all. I'd like to think I'm a little bit more wise now. But uh, I, the people that knew me when I was a child, they'd probably just say, 
I was just slightly more of a wise guy back then. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Chris is in Beth Page. Hello, Chris. How you doing, Frank? Uh, got a question for you. But, you know, just very quickly, the same thing you just talked about firing Alvin Bragg. I wish the Democrats would understand that there's no way Zeldin could do anything about the abortion laws that are stated in this. You know, it's just as ridiculous to say that he would come in and undo the abortion laws. That's all I'm saying. It's, it's just as ridiculous, right? Well, I mean, yes and no, right? I mean, I, I agree, but the, the, the thing that Zeldin is doing is he's trying to have it both ways. Is he saying on crime, whether it's bail reform or other issues, I could on my own declare a state of emergency and change all these crime laws on my own. But then when he's asked about abortion, he says what you said. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. But on abortion, I could never change any of these laws on my own. So I I agree. But Zeldin is sort of his own worst enemy on this issue. He should say... I respect the power of the legislature. I'm going to work with the legislature to make New York a safer place, and I'm going to work with them to improve the crime laws. But he's not saying that. He's saying he's going to ignore the legislature on crime, but he's not going to ignore them on abortion. So uh, I I, uh, I agree with you. You know, so you're right. As a practical matter, the legislature makes these abortion rulings, and I don't think he would change any of these abortion laws. But part of the reason that people are that the Democrats are able to use that against him and so far hasn't proven to be much of a potent attack because Zeldin's numbers have exploded in the last month. And all the Democrats have been talking about is abortion. But part of the reason that it's been um, that they keep with that is because Zeldin has been all over. He's had sort of what I call selective belief in the separation of powers. Right. Okay. All right. You're right. Agree with you. Now, here's on to my question. All right. 2024, you have to pick one of these four people to be president. You have to. You have the power to do it. Only you, Frank. Who who would you pick of these four people? Trump, DeSantis, Pete Buttigieg, or Gavin Newsom? Oh, Trump. I'm picking Trump. You're picking Trump. Okay. Yeah, again, and Trump is not a, a perfect candidate and certainly not a perfect individual. What I think, uh, I think Trump, um, and I b- believed this in 2020, and I think Trump made a lot of mistakes, but I think if Trump had gotten a second term, his second term would have been much better than his first. I think he learned a great deal from his first term and would have appointed much better people. And uh, I, I, am heartened by what I've heard from Trump on this Russia-Ukraine situation. I think the fundamental question that we face right now is whether or not we are, as a planet, going to blow ourselves up in nuclear war. And Trump, I heard at a... And again, I'm not discounting any of the crazy stuff that Trump does. I mean, I'm certainly capable of criticizing Trump whenever he does something crazy or says something crazy. But at the rally um, maybe a week or two ago, he said, look, with nuclear war, this is a game changer. And he said the same thing President Kennedy did. And he said, on this Russia-Ukraine situation, Situation, Biden has has to look for a diplomatic solution to this. And I don't know what DeSantis's view is on any foreign policy question, let alone what I think is the most important one, the uh, Russia, the, the you know, the Russia-Ukraine issue. But 
um, you know, Newsom and Buttigieg, there's some things to like about them, some things not to like about them. I think on foreign policy, they would continue exactly the same path that uh, that Biden has, which I don't think has made the world or the United States a safer place. In terms of um, Trump, though, and it's not just the Russia-Ukraine situation, if you look at Trump's policy with North Korea. Trump decided to approach North Korea diplomatically and engage with Kim Jong-un, and he uh, chose to treat him respectfully and and engage with him in a diplomatic manner, even though all of his advisors told him not to, not all of them, but 80% of them told him not to, even though all the previous living presidents said they would never do something like that, he did it. And what happened? There was no more. Uh, there was no more hydrogen missile tests. There was no more atom bomb tests. Now, now that Biden is going back to treating uh, Kim Jong Un as an international pariah, not someone to be talked to, he's mobilizing his military. He's carrying out these missile tests. He's carrying out these atom bomb tests in a manner that makes the world a more dangerous place and makes war more necessary. So, I think um, the the best thing about Trump. Um, and again, I'm, I'm not discounting any of his foibles or his shortcomings. The best thing about Trump is his instincts. And he didn't care what the global foreign policy establishment said on this issue or that issue. And he knew the right thing to do was to engage with Kim Jong-un diplomatically and engage with Vladimir Putin diplomatically and engage with everybody diplomatically. That's what the United States should be doing. So given the choice of the four people you just laid out, I'm picking Trump every day of the week. And twice on Sunday. Uh, again, not a perfect. My ideal president is Tulsi Gabbard. I'd love to see Tulsi Gabbard run. Uh, but um, if it's a choice of the four that you just laid out, that's who I'm picking. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to um, Bobby in New Jersey. Hello, Bobby. Hey, Frank. It's Bobby Ice. Uh, we're friends on Facebook. I made a post on there. What Wonderful. I wanted to ask you was your take. I didn't want to speak about this during 9-11, but I don't know about the conspiracy of 9-11. It's called Loose Change, second edition. If you've seen that at all. I, I haven't seen it, but I'm aware that it exists, certainly. Yeah, the way that the buildings came down, you know, counts by the firemen of hearing the explosions, uh, the way they fell so fast. Bush had a meeting with bin Laden's brother the day before in New York. Uh, also, the bin Laden family was in the White House, and he flew them immediately out. Uh, what's your take, and what do you think about this? Well, look, uh, I think there's a much more to September 11th than meets the eye. The aspect of the September 11th story that I could see uh, being di- different from the official story that a lot of people were told 21 years ago is the role of the Saudis. I think to me it's clear that there was Saudi involvement in the plot itself and the the cover-up. I think that's absolutely the case. I don't think that there was, uh, you know, there's been all sorts of speculation, I think even in that film, that there might have been explosives at the World Trade Center. I don't believe that, right? Uh, because I don't think they would have had explosives in the uh, World Trade Center and then flown the airplanes into the World Trade Center. I think if you were going to go to the prob- the trouble of planting explosives in the Twin Towers, 
you just would have planted explosives. I don't think you would plant explosives and then have airplanes fly into it. So that has never had any uh, credibility with me. I am uh, look. There's a lot of very intelligent people that have a, a different view, but look, I think what happened was it was a terrorist group that carried out this terrorist attack, and I, I think it's it was done unfortunately with the involvement of the Saudi government. And I think the Saudis have, and I've talked about this a great deal. Uh, the Saudis have so much sway over American policy because of energy-related issues and economic issues, that they've really not had to pay the price for this internationally because any president, Democrat, Republican, whomever it is, they all love to bow to the Saudis. You know, what was the first piece of legislation President Obama ever vetoed? It was something that would have allowed the families of terrorist victims to go after the Saudis. Uh, Trump, where was his first trip abroad? The Saudi Arabia. It's just, it's amazing. You talk about such a difference in temperament, in ideology, in background between George W. Bush and Bill Clinton and Barack Obama and Donald Trump. And the one thing they all have in common is all four of them couldn't kowtow to the Saudis fast enough. 800-848-9222. So I think that's really the role of 9-11 that's never been explored. Um, and that's kind of where I think there might be more to the official story. 800-848-9222. Igor is in Fairfield. Hello, Igor. Greetings, Frank. Hey, I, I know I'm not telling you anything to, to say when there are other New York radio shows that are simulcast on television. A couple of sports talk shows are, like on networks like Yes and SNY. And what I was going to ask you is, is have you or your people – looked into possibly simulcasting your show on maybe like a regional network or a local network like that, or maybe even on like a MeTV, because your programming would be original. As you know, there's nothing else going on at this time that's original and, and sharp like your show. Have you guys looked into something like that? Well, I, I know I can't speak to what the radio station has looked into. I remember for a while there was all all the shows – were being simulcasted on video online. And I think there was some questions about the rights to certain things and how the ratings were counted and certain things like that. I have to tell you, when that happened, um, and thanks for the call, Igor, when they were simulcasting, I hated that, right? So the one, I, I have done a lot of TV work, right? And I, uh, I've, I've been proud of a lot of the stuff I've done on television. I much prefer just doing a radio show, right? I think there's something special about radio. And I know a lot of folks that have been on radio and that have done a TV simulcast have done it very effectively. Obviously, Imus, uh, Howard Stern, Mike and Mike, uh, Mike Francesa, a number of other folks. It's not my thing. I view radio as theater of the mind, right? I love that um, you can do certain things with sound effects and uh, turn your voice into a sound effect. I hate that everybody will see what you're doing, right? I mean, I, I think there's something to be – and again, I'm in the minority on this. A lot of radio people 
this is what they live for, just doing a simulcast. Not me. I much prefer to do a uh, straight radio broadcast. In fact, there's a camera in here now, and they take a portion of this show and put it on social media throughout the day. I hate it. I, one, I hate the way that I look in this camera. If you'll notice, on the when they put these uh, snippets out there on social media, never do I ever share them. Because I don't want people looking at this, right? I, I want people listening to this show the way it is. And it's funny. Um, Rush Limbaugh used to talk about the difference when he was on radio and television. And he used to talk about when he would do a subject on radio or give a commentary on radio, everybody would respond to what he was saying, the issue that he was talking about, whatever else. When he would go on television, people would talk about the suit that he was wearing or his weight, or the props that he was using, or all sorts of other things. Now, that's great if you can do that well. It's just, it's not my thing. I I like doing a radio show. And I think once radio people sort of abandon um, what makes radio so great, which is, I think, theater of the mind, then what are you doing radio for? Why not just go do a TV show somewhere? So it's not my thing, um, but uh, I respect people that, that view it differently. But ultimately, you know what I'm going to do, Igor? Whatever management says, because I am a team player. 800-848-9222. John is in Yorktown. Hello, John. Frank, I was wondering, uh, there's talk uh, already about letting Trump out of Twitter jail as early as the beginning of next week. And I was just curious in this scenario, whether you think um, if he came out, let's just say hypothetically as early as midweek of next week, that he would end up saying something that would damage uh, Republican chances across the board or if he does get out of jail, that it should be November 9th or November 10th. Well, it, it, look, if Elon Musk chooses to let Trump back on Twitter, I think it's going to be because Musk believes in free speech, not because he's trying to help the Republicans win the election. Um, I, look, I think it's possible. But I think with a lot of people, the um, a lot of folks I hate to say it this way, but a lot of folks tend to discount some of the crazier things that uh, that Donald Trump says. I mean, there have been so many instances over the last six or seven years of Trump saying something wild on social media that I think people, both the Trump critics and Trump supporters, kind of just shrug and say, ah, that's just Trump being Trump. And in yeah, some but in this particular in this particular range of two weeks, I'd say November 10th or 11th. Well, right. Well, I can understand why you would say that. I was having this conversation with Brian Kilmeade yesterday. I cannot understand if Trump really wants the Republicans to control the U.S. Senate, and I'm assuming that he does, but I have no idea. But if Trump really wants the the Republicans to control the U.S. Senate, I cannot understand why he would urge his supporters to um, not back Joe O'Day in Colorado. The fact that O'Day is, has a real possibility of winning that U.S. Senate seat in Colorado, that's amazing. Yeah, and the, the fact that Trump, because uh, O'Day was critical of him, would actually go out and say to his supporters, stay home, don't vote for this guy, to me, that's it's bizarre. And you, if he, they lose... The Senate by one seat, and that seat is Colorado. I think Trump's going to have a lot of explaining to do to Republicans. And again, I don't want to sound like I'm rooting for the Republicans. I'm not. 
But if you are rooting for the Republicans, I got to think Trump's making you pull your hair out with some of the things that he's saying about Colorado. But honestly, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on uh, on these races. We're going to continue with your calls in a moment. 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Frankenstein. Uh, it Monday is Halloween. Uh, for those of us that are fans of horror movies, there is no better weekend than this one. And if you like horror movies and baseball, you are doubly blessed this weekend. We'll talk about both. Uh, we'll talk about both coming up a little bit later. And um, we're going to talk with Ron McCluskey coming up in about two hours. He has a documentary out about uh, Boris Karloff, who of course played Frankenstein. So brilliantly on the um, on the screen there. 800-848-9222. We are doing... The Other Side of Midnight proudly presents Ask Frank... Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Ask Frank Anything. Let us say hello to Joe in Maryland. Hello, Joe. Hi, Frank. Hi, Joe. Oh, Frank, I wanted to ask this. We have been doing research for cancer for scores and scores and scores of years. I kind of feel that if there were a cure, it would destroy our economy. How do you feel? I I don't agree. And And I see why you say that. And I've heard that from other intelligent people. And I don't agree just because... Unfortunately, there are so many people that have cancer that I think they would want to uh, purchase that uh, that cure. Now, it depends on the cure may come in the form of one shot or one pill. But I think what's much more likely is that you'd see the pharmaceutical companies or people that are in a position to market this cancer cure do what they've done with the COVID vaccine, where they start out um, selling it for $25 and to the government or whomever else, and then they triple the price. So I think whether it's Big Pharma, I think whether it's the insurance companies, I think whether it's uh, the healthcare providers themselves, there's a lot of money to be made in the form of a cancer cure. And in terms of... Um, If people aren't dying from cancer, and I've spent a great deal of time talking about that, those people are still in the workforce being productive. 
For instance, my colleague Bernard McGurk passed away from cancer, 64 years old. If he had not passed away, he'd still be working. He That's another 10 years, at least, minimum, that he'd be on the radio. Now, think about that. Not only, and now, I don't know what Bernie made, but I have an idea of what he made. He made a lot of money. So that's money that he'd be spending. That's money his family would be spending. And now it's not. Right? So I don't see how the economy is helped by Bernie not having that cancer cure. I don't, uh, personally. But I, I appreciate the question. 800-848-9222. I'm going to try and go to folks uh, that have been holding a while. Uh, let me say hello. Oh, boy. Uh, e. Frank is in Astoria. Hello, E. Frank. Yes. Uh, good morning, Frank. Uh, I have a specific question that you probably won't like, but I'll tell it to you anyway. We have uh, two female uh, public officials now, an FDNY uh, f- uh, fire commissioner and NYPD f- uh, police commissioner who mm-hmm. are female. Uh, sure. Uh, uh, right? Uh, Keyshance uh, Sewell. Right. What's your question? And uh, mm-hmm. now mm-hmm. Laura Cavanaugh, who's a personal friend of mine. I, I-, I want to ask you this, uh, Frank. Do you think that we will ever again have uh male uh commissioners like uh, the Christian Roman Catholic Raymond Kelly from Manhattan New York Christian yes, Roman Catholic- Yes I will say uh, let me just end yes I do think we will have male commissioners again I think if uh, uh commissioner Sewell were to resign or retire in a year or two uh I think there might be a very good chance she'd be replaced with a male commissioner and if there's a new mayor in three years, I think the mayor may pick a uh, a male commissioner. So, yes, the short answer to your question, I'll spare everybody a whole lot of time, is yes. I do think we will have that. Charles is in Queens. Hello, Charles. Yeah, hi. Good morning. I would like to uh, first make a comment uh, that I agree with you 100% regarding the way you want um, the radio. You want people to understand, appreciate, and think about the ideas you're presenting not to be confused with visuals in the picture and the nixon kennedy debate proves it right right people that listen on the radio were concentrating on what they were hearing and they said nixon won but we're watching those that watch it on tv thought that kennedy won he's better looking he wasn't sweating he's younger and so on and so forth so your point is totally valid i agree with you 100 percent what I wanted to ask the question is that um, President Biden, the administration, the first day they cut down, they stopped, you know, all fossil fuel. They stopped the um, Canada, Can, uh, Canada, America pipeline, X, Y, whatever it's called. Okay. In the, in the name of climate change, I see it as counterproductive. Why? If we wouldn't be using oil at all, that's one thing. But we're using oil. And we're getting it from countries that leave a dirtier imprint on the planet than we would have. So all we're accomplishing is destroying our economy. Well, yeah, we Charles, do it cleaner. Yeah, I, I'm not sure of your question, but I do tend to agree. I think uh, American energy companies, I trust much more, uh, especially even on oil and fossil fuels, as opposed to a Chinese company or a company that's in Mexico or the Middle East. Uh, absolutely. So uh, I definitely think that was completely counterproductive. And I'm all for reducing greenhouse gas emissions, but uh, I don't think that was a great way to go about about it. 
Uh, let me see. Jennifer in Boston has been holding a while. Hello, Jennifer. Hey, uh, Jennifer, I heard you um, You had a recent uh, family tragedy. I'm sorry to hear about that. I hope you and your family are doing okay. Oh, that's very kind of you, Frank. Thank you for that sentiment. Yeah, it's, I'll tell you, people, Sentinel, be very, very careful if you're doing, you know, buying Xanax or bars or whatever, you know, on the street. Uh, yeah, 25 years old, Frank. Yeah, yeah no, so, I, can't, I can't imagine. I yeah. can't imagine. Yeah. Very, very kind of you. You know, came from a very loving home, very you know, good I'm family. Sure. And, yeah, and uh, actually was suffering from pain from illness, you know, and uh, yeah. So in any event, thank you. That's very thoughtful. Um, I had a question and a suggestion, if that's okay, and I'll try and be as concise. Sure, sure. As I, um, and thank you. Um, regarding what you mentioned about Alvin Brad not being um, dismissed from office uh, and building to get in there, and I assume it would go for Hochul or whoever, you know, if she were so inclined that that would be a sentiment. I, I, this is the part that really gets me. Um, well, first of all, would you be agreeable to a recall? Would you think that? Yeah, 100%. And when I had Andrew Giuliani on, I, I think I might have actually suggested the idea to Andrew, which he ran with, yeah. of I wish every um, New York elected official was subject to recall. And uh, I exactly. think it was great what they did in California with uh, with Casa Bodine. And I hope the same thing happens with uh, Gascon in California. Absolutely. Exactly. I hope Krasner is the next one, and I hope every one of them. Because, like what Rachel Rollins did up here, uh, just one case off the top of my head. I, uh, this poor woman was beaten so badly, beaten so badly. A lawyer, young woman walking her dog in the early morning, and uh, she was set upon, and uh, she lost part of, she lost a good part of her hearing, and she had horrible traumatic brain injury. She hadn't been able to work for two years by the time the guy's sentencing came down. Never served a day in jail. Nothing. Oh. And, and Rachel Rollins had, had the nerve to say, "Well, I." I do feel for the victim. Get, you know, spare me. Um, and, you know, it's all this identity politics, who gets sentenced and how they get sentenced and, you know, how much we have to coddle them. So I, I, I thought you would be agreeable to that. And I'm glad to hear that because I don't like the fact that, um, and Dominic and I have talked about this too, I don't like the fact that when we talk about uh, Bragg, for instance, being uh, dismissed from office, if that were the case, why do we have to talk about the fact, well, it's the first black DA. It should be. I just don't understand so much now about, you know what I mean, race being a part of everything or gender or whatever. To me, it should be about rights and yeah, wrongs. Yeah, and I, that's what I, I, I yeah. think blocked away. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree, uh, Jennifer. And I said that yesterday in one of my local commentaries about Jack Cittarelli uh, blaming his loss on the fact that his campaign staff was too white. I don't like identity politics either. The bottom line is there are some racial arsonists in this city and in this state and in this country that will go to town if a white politician that didn't win Manhattan removes a black elected official. It's just a fact. And just as I said, you know, people thought Lindsey Graham was making a um, a threat when he said if uh, if Trump's indicted that there would be riots in the street. I don't think he was making a threat. I think he was making a prediction. And I think he's right because a lot of the Trump supporters would be so fired up they would go crazy. And I think you'd see that same situation in um, with with Alvin Bragg in Manhattan. All right. 
uh, we don't have a prize to give you, but if you are the recipient of uh, this week's best question, we'll give you an opportunity to call in and ask another question if you want. Matt Blaze, Kenneth, and whoever's filling in for Alex Barnard, do we have a consensus? Uh, 100%. That would be John and Freehold. John and Freehold, if you care to ask an extra question, call back at 800-848-9222. Those of you that are holding, I'll try and get to you. If not, we got some fun stuff to get to. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. Yesterday was the birthday of one of my favorite presidents, Theodore Roosevelt, and I uh, did not mention that. And it's funny, I think one of the questions in the $1,000 Minute was about Theodore Roosevelt being on Mount Rushmore. It just so happened that that was the case. I didn't plan it that way. I'd forgotten that yesterday was his birthday, and then I was kicking myself. I didn't forget that October 27th was his birthday. I forgot yesterday was October 27th, but I was kicking myself all day. For the rest of uh, the rest of the, the day yesterday, that I didn't do something special for Theodore Roosevelt because I've interviewed so many great authors about Theodore Roosevelt's life and his legacy. But I will tell you, I think it is an example of synchronicity that we ended up asking a Theodore Roosevelt-related question on his birthday. We're going to talk synchronicity in uh, just about ten minutes with somebody who is a bright guy. Dr. Bernard Beitman, he is the first psychiatrist since Carl Jung, who I now know it's pronounced Carl Jung thanks to Alex Barnard. I used to think it was pronounced Carl Jung. The first psychiatrist since Carl Jung to systemize the study of coincidences. He's made a whole practice of studying coincidences. This isn't some mystic. This isn't some uh, religious guru. This is a scientist, a doctor, a psychiatrist, he's going to join us in about uh, 12 minutes to talk about coincidences and what it says about us. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. Yesterday was also John Gotti's birthday. I might have squeezed in a quick John Gotti anecdote had I uh, had I remembered that. And I want to issue a retraction. I got a note from a bunch of people, a bunch of emails. If you ever want to email me, you can do so. 
at frank.morano at uh, wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That when I was quoting Rodney King the other day, I mistakenly said that it was Rodney Dangerfield. Now, I, I use the quote, Let, can't we all just get along? That is a perfect example, and maybe I'll examine this with our psychiatrist friend coming up in 10 minutes as well. That is a perfect example of a Freudian slip. I was probably thinking of Rodney Dangerfield, and I said Rodney Dangerfield instead of Rodney King. So my apologies. Uh, we're going to talk Halloween in just a minute, but first, as his prize for being selected as the person who asked the best question last hour, we are pleased to welcome back John in Freehold. Hello, John. Hey, Frank. Okay, so next question is uh, a while ago, I think I sent you a link. Uh, I was watching the Tesla files, and these two guys set up a test, uh, two Tesla coils. And they powered a little electric boat on the water with no wires, just energy from electric energy from the air. If I were to come out with that technology and develop it further, you think I'd be killed before I could ever unleash it? I don't don't know. You know, in some ways, that's the cancer question. Again, I don't think so. I mean, I, I look, I spend a great deal of time talking about the influence of the military industrial complex and of big business and so forth. And I recognize that they control a great deal of what happens in society. I don't think that uh, free energy is something that is going to cause you to be murdered. I I don't. Uh, Now, you saw what happened with Ralph Nader, right? With Ralph Nader, when he came out, exposing the Chevy Corvair, saying that it was unsafe at any speed and uh, doing all sorts of other things. GM had him followed. They had him followed. They had him stalked. They tried to um, they tried to get him in a compromising position with some women and to blackmail him. And it didn't work. I think that's more likely the route that they would go, because, again, the same answer as to cancer. There's a lot of money to be made with free energy. And whether you're talking transportation or uh, travel or any of a thousand other potential areas that could benefit from free energy, I think in some ways it would provide a tremendous shot in the arm for the economy. So that's that. All right, 800-848-9222. We'll talk coincidences in about uh, 15 minutes. But there was an article in Reason magazine that I wanted to bring to your attention because especially now that I'm a parent, this Monday is going to be the first Halloween in which I am going to go trick or treating as a parent. It's very wild. I never even never uh, imagined. Well, I mean, I don't want to say I didn't imagine, but I never thought about what it would be like to go trick or treating as a parent. And we'll we'll be there. That'll be fun. So, in any event, for years there are always these urban myths that persist of bad candy being passed out for Halloween. For years, there were myths that, uh, oh, there were all these people out there that sneak razor blades into the candy, or they sneak all sorts of hallucinogens into the candy, including, uh, you know, drugs and so forth. The reality is this. It is, I don't want to say it's never happened, but it has almost never happened. 
And the couple of times where it has happened, usually it's an accident. It's not. It's very rarely. It has happened, but it's very rarely a result of some um, recalcitrant candy giver awayer that tries to taint the candy. It's just not. And so, lo and behold, last week, thousands of fentanyl pills, and we discussed this with Marlena Shivo when she was here, but thousands of fentanyl pills were discovered by TSA agents at Los Angeles International Airport. What should have been a routine drug bust ended up fueling fears about drug-laced Halloween candy. And when it comes to Halloween, for some reason, parents don't necessarily need much extra reason to worry. And so this gave them all the more reason that they didn't need in the first place. And so you had all these warnings that parents should be on the lookout for fentanyl in the Halloween candy. Despite, so the pills, the fentanyl pills, were smuggled in candy boxes. Despite a complete lack of evidence that unscrupulous drug dealers are trying to get kids hooked on opioids this Halloween, drug enforcement officials have continually warned parents to be on the lookout for fentanyl pills in their children's Halloween candy stash. These warnings aren't just baseless, and I'm reading from Reason. They perpetuate myths, long-debunked myths, and spread unnecessary panic among gullible parents. These TSA agents discovered around 12,000 fentanyl pills in a passenger's carry-on bag. Photos later published on the TSA's uh, Instagram account show the pills were smuggled in boxes and packaging of well-known candy brands, Whoppers, Skittles, Sweet Tarts. Law enforcement officials quickly seized on this as a reason to warn parents to be on the lookout for Halloween fentanyl pills on Monday. Well, um, even the L.A. local officials, too, L.A. County Sheriff's Department said the same thing. This is not the first time, not the first time this year, that law enforcement officials warn that drug dealers might be trying to pass out fentanyl pills on Halloween. Over the past several months, officials began seizing brightly colored fentanyl pills dubbed Rainbow Fentanyl. An unfounded speculation that these brightly colored pills are meant to attract younger users has morphed into fears that drug dealers will attempt to give these pills away for free, no less, to children during Halloween trick-or-treating. Even though the pills seized during last week's drug bust in L.A. were all light blue, the fact that they were smuggled in candy boxes has allowed government officials and the media to piggyback on this, on the rainbow fentanyl, I don't want to call it fear-mongering because there is rainbow fentanyl, but on the rainbow fentanyl fear-stoking. There's all these stories about contaminated treats. And as Joel Best, a prominent researcher of Halloween sadism, maybe we'll have him on the uh, radio Monday, make a note. But as Joel Best said, 
stories about contaminated traits are best understood as contemporary legends. And his data goes back to 1958. And his principal finding is simple. He cannot find any evidence that any child has ever been killed or seriously injured by a contaminated treat picked up in the course of trick-or-treating. So the bottom line is this. Your children, if they're going trick-or-treating, are not going to be given fentanyl. They're not. Now, there's not any reason that you shouldn't be on the lookout for drugs in your children's lives every day, including on Halloween. But uh, if you're worried about your child getting some Smarties or sweet tarts and all of a sudden becoming addicted to fentanyl, that is not a realistic fear. So I hope we can take the temperature down a little bit on that one. According to Best, the latest stories about fentanyl and candy are just as baseless as the tales of marijuana-laced Halloween treats and needle-filled apples. Quote, one obvious hole in these concerns is that drugs tend to cost more than candy. The suggestion that a school-age kid would go from accidental user of fentanyl to a paying addict is far-fetched. I mean, you think about it, right? So drugs do cost more than candy. So if I'm a drug dealer, would I really intentionally switch the candy with fentanyl in the hopes that the kid knows which house that fentanyl came from and that he'll come back there in a week or two to buy more? Of course not. I th- I don't think that's a realistic fear at all. As Joel Best notes, these Halloween sadism myths tend to rely on incredibly illogical thinking, which is something that's incredibly present in the law enforcement response to these pills found in the airport. Packing the pills in candy boxes was an attempt to disguise the drugs from the TSA. That's why they were in candy boxes. It was not so they could sneak them to children. So people should just chill out. Quote, it might not make any sense for someone to give a brightly colored opioid pill to a small child, but it, it, but it isn't impossible, is it? Such reasoning is thought to justify ringing the alarm bells. You want to comment? You want to disagree? You could certainly do so. 800-848-9222. 1-800-848-9222. Meantime, Thomas in Maryland has been patiently holding. Hello, Thomas. How you doing? I'm well. Thanks, Thomas. Hope you're well, too. Yeah, I just want to... Uh, have you heard of a guy named David Politis? David Politis? Yeah. Um, I've, I've heard him on uh, uh, Coast to Coast AM with George Noy. He's written a lot of books, uh, 411 Missing in National Parks. Oh, have actually, yes, yes, uh, yes. He and I have been in touch by uh, by email. I've never interviewed him, though. I think he'd be a great guy on your show. You know, um, it's actually a great idea. I've reached out to him before. I don't remember why he was uh, unavailable, but, um, you know, I think I wanted to... I, I think I remember he wanted to focus on something different as opposed to what I wanted to talk to him about. But uh, I'll reach out to him again. That's actually a great suggestion. 
Yeah, he's uh, he's he was a uh, uh, I'll tell you, he was a detective in New York City for like twenty years. Yeah, he has uh, actually quite a career in law enforcement, and he's uh, quite a storyteller. So that's actually that's not a not a bad idea. I will uh, I'll reach out to him one more time. Yeah, he's got some creepy stories. I know that. Uh, that is for sure. Thomas, thanks for the call. Thanks for listening. Hope you have a great weekend. 800-848-9222. We're going to talk coincidences in just a bit. Uh, let me say hello to Ina on the west side of Manhattan. Hello, Ina. Uh, hello. Hi. 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 Oh, oh man, I fall asleep. Hi. Hi. Um, who is this again? John? No, not close enough. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You know what's on yes, your mind? How are you? Good, 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 good. Well, well, you know, um, I w- I was at the the service at St. Patrick, but this morning Sid come over and he had to give the family space to mourn. He came over and he's inviting his wife there to to today and. Also have a fundraising going for his son because his son has some kind of problem. And I don't think that that's proper. You you know, I'm Catholic. And when we have a family member, your mother, right. your spouse yeah. died. So, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I, I'm not sure at all what you're saying. I have to be honest. I'm sorry. So what are you saying? So Sid invited someone on the radio and that was inappropriate? No. The wife, Bernie's wife is coming there tomorrow and the daughter. So he invites his wife and also announcing a, a fundraising for his son at the same time and not giving the people their space. All he's talking about is the fundraising and his wife and this and that. And, and I don't think that's appropriate. These people are mourning. All right. Well, I appreciate your opinion. You know, again, uh, Ina, if you have a problem with something I'm doing, you should absolutely call me. If you have a problem with something that Sid is doing, you should call Sid, right? I mean, I don't think I'm the best person to complain to about something that Sid does. Otherwise, that would take the whole four hours of this show. I mean, I'm, I have my hands full with dealing with all the Curtis complaints I'm getting on a daily basis. I'm not. Uh, I'm not able to take on another host on that front. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's eight hundred eight four eight ninety two twenty two. Al is in Yonkers. Hello, Al. Hi. Good morning, Frank. You know, I just wanted to say in regards to the authorities uh, putting out the warning about the uh, the uh, trick or treats for the uh, kids on Monday could be laced with drugs. I mean, anything is possible. You really have to take it seriously. Because even today, I was out reading the paper. I was in the city and I was outside. And I had four guys next to me. They were all, I started smelling the marijuana, like uh, Lee Zeldin uh, mentioned the other day, recreational marijuana on the subways and all over. And so anything is possible. I mean, I think it's such a terrible thing that you're, you know, you're trying to read the paper and I get four guys next to me all high, you know, laughing and everything from smoking a joint. And I just would say, like what the authorities put out there, you know, anything is possible. So we all have to put our guard up. Well, yeah, Al, everything is possible and anything is possible. But the thing is, what should be we be worried about as parents, as taxpayers, as law enforcement? Right. It's possible yeah. that um, that we and thanks for the call. 
it's possible that we could have a wild bear on the streets of Manhattan break into our building, maul the security guard, take the elevator up to whatever floor we're on, and somehow figure out a way to get past the security on the door here and then maul all of us. It's possible. Is it likely? No. But um, does that mean we should be on our guard for a wild bear mauling us to death in the middle of Manhattan? No. Because, in my view, there's a lot of other threats that are much more likely. And there's a, you only have, we all only have so much bandwidth. Right. We all only have so much time. We only have so much money. We only have so much intellectual energy. So why not spend that time, money and energy worrying about things that are very that, that are more likely to occur? You're not likely to have your child become a drug addict because he's gone trick or treating. OK, it is much more likely that um, your child is likely to try drugs from a classmate at school or some other way, right? I I think that's a much more realistic fear for parents. How do you deal with that? I think that's a great question. What should you do? I think that's a great question. There are ethical questions. There are legal questions. There are sociological questions. But I think we need to step away, and I respect where you're coming from, Al, Um, I think we need to step away from this idea of what Lenore Skenazy calls worst first thinking, meaning we think of the worst possible situation first. No, I, I don't think that's healthy. I think if you do that, you live in a constant state of fear and paranoia. You know, if you think about it, well, whatever. So uh, personally, I uh, I disagree. Is it possible? Absolutely. Is it going to happen? No. Let's concern ourselves with things that are likely to happen, like um, children that might get hit by cars on Halloween as they're walking around on the streets or um, something something else that may occur. So I, I don't think that's the best use of our time and energy, personally. All right, 800-848-9222. Dr. Bernard Brightman joins us straight ahead. We are going to talk synchronicity and coincidences. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. The Other Side of Midnight presents What You're About to Hear is not a news broadcast. Perhaps you can help solve the mystery. This is the Murano Mystery. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Murano. A couple of weeks ago, we did a topic that I think engendered more caller reaction than anything we've done in weeks, months, maybe even a year. And lo and behold, that was just the beginning. We did this topic on the air, and I was deluged with social media correspondence, email correspondence, text correspondence, people I didn't even know were listening to this show uh, that I were that I was friends with in real life. They started reaching out to me. The subject had to do with synchronicity and coincidences. Does it ever happen to you 
that all of a sudden you haven't seen anyone for, you haven't seen a certain person, for instance, for 10, 12, 15 years. And then for whatever reason, you mention them, you bring them up. And then the next day that person calls you or you run into them on the street. That is an example of the kind of synchronicitous example, uh, uh, the kind of synchronicitous instances that we were talking about on the year and which sure enough, a whole bunch of people responded to. Lo and behold, there's a lot of theories as to what causes these degrees of coincidences. They range from the scientific, they range from the psychological to the supernatural. A fellow that knows this stuff better than anybody is Dr. Bernard Beitman. He is the first psychiatrist since Carl Jung to study systematically coincidences. He's a graduate of Yale Medical School. He's an author. He is the founder of the Coincidence Project, and he has been somebody that has thought about this stuff for many years. Uh, Bernard, it is great to talk to you. Thanks for joining me on the radio. Oh, great introduction. Thank you, Frank. So when when in a coincidence happens, like let's say the common example that I just gave of you happen to mention someone that you haven't seen in 12 years, maybe you're reminiscing about them, and then you run into them on the street the next day or they call you seemingly out of the blue. Could that just be a coincidence or is there something more to it? Well, I, I like to think it could be both. Sometimes randomness is a good explanation. Chance does happen. But a lot of times, not the case. Uh, And some of the stories that uh, we heard is that the person thinks of someone and they call within a few minutes, even though they haven't seen them in quite a long time. So it begins to suggest some other way of thinking about how things work. And Rupert Sheldrake has done research to suggest that telephone telepathy is is a real thing. So um, how long have you been studying the science of coincidences? Well, uh, in 2009, um, I published uh, a couple of papers in psychiatric annals um, based on the weird coincidence survey, which uh, I constructed with some research assistance. And the purpose of that survey was to ask a simple question. Yeah, I've heard a lot of stories about people having a lot of weird coincidences, synchronicity, serendipity. Uh, but I wanted to get some data about it, and there wasn't very much out there. So I got one of these, I helped create one of these valid and reliable scales that psychologists like to have, and gave it to about a 1,000 people at the University of Missouri in Columbia, Missouri, and came up with uh, the, the idea that the, the, there were several common coincidences, and you mentioned one of them, thinking of someone and they call. And there are several other common ones. And I was interested in one that had to do with me and my father. Um, And and I described this story in my book, uh, Meaningful Coincidences, How Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. And it's the story that got me going, or the second story that got me going, because I was choking uncontrollably in San Francisco at 11 p.m., uh, February 26th, uh, 1973, and I couldn't get I couldn't get the thing out of my throat, but I hadn't eaten anything, uh, so I didn't know what it was. Well, the next day, my brother called uh, from Wilmington, Delaware, and my father had died. He had died 
bleeding into his own throat, choking mm. on his own blood. So around the same time that I was choking, he was choking and dying. And that has an impact on a person, that kind of experience. Oh, no. So I, I became, <laughs> so I became curious whether people have this experience, experience like this. And yes, they do. And I call it simultaneity, the experience of the pain of a loved one at a distance. There are going to be a lot of people, The I think, the most cynical among us, and you're a scientific guy, so I think you are no stranger to cynicism that say all these instances, the, the idea of choking at the same time your father is choking, the idea of running into someone that you haven't seen in a while and uh, you happen to have just talked about, the idea of uh, hearing about a book on television and then uh, just seeing that book in the bookstore the following day, there's folks that say, okay, sometimes there are just coincidences. What is a meaningful coincidence? How do you define that? What's a meaningful coincidence versus something that just could randomly seem to be something that's noteworthy? Uh, great um, question. I thank you for that. Uh, a coincidence, dictionary, dictionary definition, is the remarkable concurrence of events or circumstances without apparent causal connection. That's just a coincidence. And it's very important, as I try to describe in my book, to see what adjectives you put in front of the word coincidence. What you're implying is a coincidence that would be called a mere coincidence or just a coincidence or only a coincidence. On the other hand, a meaningful coincidence has particular meaning to the person involved and could be described as the coming together again of two or more events in a surprising, unexpected, and improbable way that seems to have significance to the person experiencing it, either at the moment or in retrospect, and may seem to have a possible explanation. You know, in terms of uh, psychology, there's a school of thought that says all these coincidences are, and all people taking note of coincidences, all it is is, well, something happens, and then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, your brain is more attuned to that. So if someone mentions someone choking, if someone mentions a book, if someone mentions a color, a movie, or you hear a song, and then all of a sudden, that same thing uh, comes across your radar in the next day, two days, week, you're just more attuned to it. That would have happened in any event, and you just wouldn't have noticed it. Do you give any credence to that? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I, it used to be something like I, I used, you, you think about a, a yellow Volkswagen and then you see a yellow Volkswagen. That was in the old days. And, yeah, you, you become sensitized. But there's another, there's another side to that, Frank. What I'm trying to do in my book and my podcast and, and on my Psychology Today post is get people sensitized to coincidence so they will see them. So if you're not looking for them, if you're not aware of the possibility, like the yellow Volkswagen, you're not going to see them. So how does one get sensitized to coincidences? Well, I, I just gave you one big smack in the face one uh, for around my father. I started when I was eight or nine. My dog got lost. I got lost. And we found each other. And it was the most dramatic, important thing of my life at that time. So I... If you get big coincidences happening to you, you start saying, well, maybe there's more of these. You become more sensitive to them. 
there are all sorts of theories about synchronicity, and I'm sure even the term that you've caused uh, that, that you've coined simulpathity, uh, simulpathity. You said it is right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, it, they range from the fairly reasonable to the totally out of the box and unorthodox. One of the main theories that I hear, at least online, is that this is an indication that we're living in some sort of a computer simulation and that these these instances of synchronicity or simulpathity are somehow glitches in the computer simulation. Something tells me that's not a theory you subscribe to. Uh, well, I like glitches in the Matrix. I've always liked <laughs> right. that idea. Uh, it's uh, it's fun. And I'm going to interview somebody on my podcast who thinks we're living in uh, a simulation. Uh, and there are other people suggesting that. Well, I don't know. I mean, it's this, it's the same question that I think you're implying about it, back in this, Frank, is that what do you believe is the nature of reality? How do you think things work? And there are people who insist that it's all random and chance, and I can't argue with that. And there are other people who say there is a, a larger intelligence having something to do with it, and that larger intelligence could be called God or computer simulation. I want to find out what's going on here, Frank. Mm. There's something going on here. <laughs> I can't, and coincidences are a way that I'm trying to figure out the nature of reality. And keep in mind that human beings have for centuries used coincidences as a, as a way to figure out how two events might be connected with each other. So I'm just doing the same thing human beings have done for a long time. What is What your belief about reality is colors a lot of how you interpret the explanations for coincidences. I'm a psychiatrist. I do psychotherapy. I'm very much interested in responsibility, personal responsibility. The trouble with randomness and God and fate is that they take away from us our own personal responsibility. And if you recall the definition of coincidence from the dictionary without an apparent causal connection, if you've got an explanation like God or random, there are no coincidences. Uh, we're talking with uh, Dr. Bernard Beitman. You can check out his website, uh, Coincider.com. Uh, that's Coincider.com. He's also the author of a book called Meaningful Coincidences, How and Why Synchronicity and Serendipity Happen. And uh, Bernard, if you were to uh, talk about what people can get out of looking at coincidences, whether they're scientifically inclined, whether they're spiritually inclined, maybe a little bit of both. If they start to be more attuned to coincidences in their own life, what can that do for them, if anything? It, it can help them with making decisions, soothe grief, tighten connections with other people, find people and ideas that they need, like being in the right place at the right time, if you pay attention to them, they can be hints or suggestions about what to do next. They're not commands. They are absolutely not commands. You have to decide what to do with them, but they are very practical, and I try to list some of the ways they are practical in my book. And, and give us one way, for instance, that they're practical. Um. I was uh, leaving the University of Washington um, because I was denied tenure in, in Seattle. 
And I didn't know whether I should say goodbye to a colleague of mine or not. So I stood outside his door and said, yes, the right thing to do is say goodbye to Wayne. Uh, we had worked together and on similar things. So I knocked on the door, I walked in, and, hi, Wayne, how you doing? And on his desk was uh, a paper by Bass and Wade on chest pain and panic disorder. I said, Wayne, what's this? He was doing research on trying to find relationships between chest pain and panic disorder in a family practice clinic. And he gave me the protocol. It was a one-page thing. And I went to the University of Missouri with this protocol. And right across the front door of the psychiatry clinic was the back door of the cardiology clinic. So people from the cardiology clinic with atypical or non-anginal chest pain could come over to the psychiatry clinic to be evaluated for the relationship between panic disorder and chest pain. Those those nice coincidences uh, helped me get 40 papers published and <laughs> became became chairman of psychiatry. <laughs> that is wild. And again, if people want to learn more about this or check out the book, they can go to coincider.com. Uh, and uh, one of the things that I have heard a lot of people bring up about uh, maybe about 15 years ago, 16 years ago, there was a whole movement, a very trendy book called The Secret. And one of the yeah. linchpins of The Secret was something called The Law of Attraction. And I, I'm, I'm overly summarizing something that people, I'm sure, taught seminars, did movies and wrote books about. <laughs> but basically, The Law of Attraction, as I understand it, is that whatever you think about, whatever you put out into the universe, that comes back to you. And a lot of folks have kind of chalked that law of attraction up to why these seemingly random incidents of serendipity or coincidence, whatever it may be, why those occur. What do you say about the law of attraction? Well, thanks for bringing that one up, because uh, the the paradigmatic, this basic vision I had of the law of attraction right at the, the beginning of the first book, The Secret, was if you want money, put a $1,000 bill on the ceiling of your bedroom and just stare at it, and that's going to make money come to you. And, and that is not what happens. You've got to do something in the world. So it helps to know what you want. It really does. Uh, I wanted to run the opening kickoff back for a touchdown in high school and college. I did that, hit the first pitch of a baseball game. I batted first for a home run. I did that. It helps to be able to imagine what you want to do, but you also got to get out there and do stuff that's going to make it more likely for it to happen. Well, it's certainly very interesting, and uh, I'm amazed that – these one these incidents seemingly occur to everybody and two i'm amazed that there hasn't been more study in the scientific community or the psychological community devoted to this so i think what you're doing is terrific want to encourage everybody to check out your book meaningful coincidences what's the best way for people to get it if they're interested uh, I hope they go to the local bookstore because I, I like to encourage bookstore purchases. Same but here. you yeah. can get it at Amazon and, and Barnes and & Noble and all kinds of places online as usual. Uh, Frank, what you just said about the scientific community, I so much appreciate because I'm trying to be able to do just that, get more 
people interested in scientifically examining meaningful coincidences because they're clues about how reality works. Let, let me just end with this because Monday is Halloween and a lot of people's thoughts around Halloween tend to veer towards the supernatural, the otherworldly. And there's a whole lot of folks that think when they come across a penny or a dime or a rose or a certain song that that's their departed parent, their departed brother, husband, whomever, speaking to them through these random objects that uh, are seemingly put in their path. Uh, Obviously, as a psychiatrist, that might not necessarily be your specialty, but as somebody that studies coincidences, I'm betting it's something that you've spent a great deal of time thinking about it. What's your take on what role the supernatural or the otherworldly may play in these coincidences? I think sometimes there's something to it, Frank. I mean, I've tried to be able to be pretty basically scientific about it, but when somebody says that my father used to like to collect uh, 1945 pennies, and then I start seeing 1945 pennies after he dies, I have to say that's a low probability thing. Any, just any penny in the street is not such a big deal. But if it's the, the exact penny that his father liked to collect, that makes me have to think there might be something going on. But there's other stories that really get to me that I've seen, and people have studied grief and synchronicity. And one beautiful one uh, is that a man died. His wife was grieving. It was winter, and his favorite flower bloomed as she was walking into the house past outside. Outside, it was blooming as she was coming back from the funeral. And to have his flower grow at a time when flowers don't grow, right after the funeral, to her was a message. And I have to say, maybe. Well, I think it's absolutely fascinating. And uh, rather than satiate my curiosity for this, you've only stoked it. I'm definitely going to be checking out the book, Meaningful Coincidences. Go to the website, Coincider.com. You could check out Dr. Beitman's blog and the podcast. And uh, there's a lot of fascinating ground that's covered. Bernard, thank you so much. I hope we can do this again in the future. Frank, you've got some good questions, and I hope we can. Same here. If you want to comment on any portion of our conversation, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. If all goes according to the plan, I will be here in just about two minutes. No coincidence is necessary. To be continued. The Other Side of Midnight. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
It's been covered many times by many different artists. Uh, Peggy Lee, Elvis, Madonna, Michael Bublé, Beyonce, Christina Aguilera. But uh, sometimes you need to go straight to the original. All right, 800-848-9222. I'm going to get to your calls in just a minute. Whatever you want to talk about is just fine with me. Uh, I mean, obviously, if it's within the purview of something that we've covered today, then I would appreciate that. But um, we got an action-packed show for you. Uh, we got denunciations coming up in about 10 minutes. And then, very excited about this. I am a Frankenstein fanatic. I am a lover of all of those universal monster movies, Dracula, Frankenstein, The Wolfman, all of them. And then I love the comeback that they had with Abbott and Costello. And, in fact, I just had them all on tape when I was a kid, and I would watch them again and again and again as a child, really, probably at an age that was far too young to ever, you know, to really appreciate that. But uh, I am really excited because I just watched this terrific documentary all about Boris Karloff. It's called Boris Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster. And we have the producer of this documentary who's going to join us in about 40 minutes. And uh, if those of you like me who are interested in maybe watching Frankenstein over the weekend, might be helpful to know a little something about Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. Let me say hello to John in Albany, who has been patiently holding. Hello, John. Hi there, Frank. Hey, nice show you got. Thank you. Yeah, uh, you know, you're talking about coincidence. Uh, about four or five years ago, it happened probably about six months out of the year. Every time I looked at my digital clock, it always had one. It was either 222, 111. 333 444 and I thought I was I, I thought I was a cuckoo there for a while you know and then I heard a talk show one night and other people were calling in they had the same thing going on so I I don't know I was going to talk to your doctor I was wondering what you know what causes that yeah I mean I think the one thing that I took away in that uh, conversation is that we don't know right now and uh, there's right. a lot of different theories as to why, and I tried to bring up several of them with him, but I don't think anybody knows, but they're out there, and I think it happens too often to um to just dismiss and that's why I asked, and we have again, I know we have a lot of cynics in the audience, and they love to say, "Oh, you know that stuff is just happening, and you're just noticing it more I don't believe that I don't think it's just a matter of that you're noticing things that would have happened anyway. I think there's more to it. What the more to it is, I don't know. That's why I think what Dr. Brightman is doing is uh, so interesting, and I'm going to order that book and uh, and read it. Thank you. 800-848-9222. I will tell you, uh, I am doing this show for the first time wearing a smoking jacket because yesterday I went to a Halloween party a Gatsby-themed Halloween party 
here in uh, in Manhattan. And uh, my wife came, a very rare weeknight appearance for my wife. And it was fun. We went with, um, we got a babysitter uh, for my 11-month-old son. He turned 11 months old yesterday. And she came, my sister came, and then we were met there by my sister-in-law, Sharon, and uh, her friend Grace and a couple of other people that uh, that we know and everything. And uh, G- Gina, who works here, our music analyst, she came and uh, it was great to run into a bunch of people. And we had a we had a good whole you know vibe going. I'm I'm going to post a picture at the top of the hour. You can see some of the the photos at uh, Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. That's Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. But you know we got out of there um, you know at a relatively early uh, early hour because I had to come to work and. My wife had to go home and relieve the babysitter. And so sure enough, they she got stuck in all this traffic heading home. And uh, I, she said uh, she, they closed the um, they closed the uh, I don't know, something. And it took her it took her about two hours to get home. And she was not at all happy. And obviously we had to pay the babysitter more. And uh, she said to me, the next time I ever think about leaving our house again on a weeknight, don't let me. And then uh, she finally got home. She spent 40 minutes trying to cross the Casiasco Bridge. And, uh, you know, she was just uh, not at all pleased. She said, I'm speeding home to our son and a furious babysitter. I'm never leaving Staten Island again. (laughs) And then she said, I'm giving Larissa, who was our babysitter for the night, $130 which is every penny I have, and I still owe her 10 bucks. And I said, honey, you know, I get paid uh, tomorrow, which is now today. I said, I'll give you all of my money tomorrow. She said, I don't want the money. I want the last two hours of my life back. So it was not at all. The the party itself was fine. It was fun. But the, the ride home for Rachel was uh, not exa- It's not exactly the kind of thing that's going to put her in the mood for going to parties regularly. During the week, that's for sure. Although, you know, uh, but I think once in a while you, you kind of just need to let your hair down, get a babysitter once in a while. But, you know, Mar- my friend Marlena Shivo, she had invited us to a uh, Halloween party at her house on Saturday. And that's not Gatsby themed. That's more just conventional Halloween party themed. And at, as of yesterday, we still didn't have a babysitter. So we were, you know, having a tough time. And I really want to go because we backed out last year at the last minute. And I've been hearing about it for a year from Marlena. And it's not even so much that I really want to go. It's that I want to stop hearing that I missed it from Marlena. And she, you know, she's come to different events that I've hosted over the years. I feel like I owe her one. And she puts a lot of work into this Halloween party. And uh, I think now the chance of my wife agreeing to go to this is less than zero. So uh, she said, oh, you could go on your own. And you know that if you're a married guy, you always know that's the biggest trap in the world. You could go on your own. It never works out well. You know, even if if they say that it's okay, it's never really that okay. But um, but she did say maybe I'll take my sister Claudia as my uh, as my date on this. See, my sister is in the midst of marathon training. So yesterday was her last day out. She said it was going to be her last day out because she's got to rest her legs before the marathon. I think this weekend is going to be her last run. And then pretty much between now and the 
and the marathon, she has to kind of take it easy to make sure that she can do it. So we'll see. I'm going to try and get her to come with me on Saturday. Otherwise, I'm just going to tell Marlena, sorry. I mean, she's got two small children. She understands how that whole thing, uh, how that whole thing works. But it was a fun party. I'm glad we went. Uh, but uh, I, f- I feel bad that uh, Rachel and the babysitter had such a, a tough time. And I will tell you, we were going over our calendar for November. It's not even November yet. And we are already booked every single weekend in November. And I was just thinking to myself during the commercial, um, what is, you know, I have to just get better at saying no to things. And I'm reading this article on Axios by Jim Vandehei, and he's giving advice for certain things. What's the number one piece of advice that he mentions? Just say no. Talk about synchronicity. Your calls and denunciations in a moment. Keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. We are moments away from denunciations, but there are a few people that have been waiting very patiently to talk on the phone. And uh, I don't know. I don't feel it's quite sporting to ask people to call, keep them holding, and then go on talking more. So let me take at least a couple of quick calls before we get to denunciation, and then we will talk uh, with the producer, Ron McCluskey, of Boris Karloff. The man behind the monster. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Ernie in Port Chester. Hello, Ernie. Hi, Frank. Hi, Ernie. It was, how are you? Great. Thanks for asking. Yes. Yeah. Can you hear me? I do. I can. Okay. There was an article in the, the uh, Lower Hudson Valley Gannett newspaper uh, this weekend, and it had to, to do with, uh, you know, Climate change, methane, and it had a like a three by five picture of a cow. And they were reporting that cows produce, and I'm not trying to be facetious or funny or anything. Uh, cows produce one sixth of the methane causing the problem in our atmosphere, if you will, environment. And they're one sixth, and they're three. Three fifths of the cows and other animals <clears throat> are emitting the methane, but they reported it and they didn't give any kind of background at all. It's a big article. Rush Limbaugh was reporting that in the late '80s. He used to say it all the time. Everybody thought he was being cute or funny, and I thought it was rather funny myself. But so what are you truth. saying? So people should stop eating beef then? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying it is what it is. And uh, if, you know, maybe they ought to attach something to the butt of the cow 
collect the methane and use it. There you go. Anyway. That's a great now, idea, Ernie. A great idea. I'm I'm surprised I haven't heard that from, uh, I don't know, one of the potential presidential candidates, right? 800-848-9222. I don't know that there's much need for me to comment beyond that. But um, emissions from, um, you know, they do create a lot of carbon dioxide cows that are that are bred for beef. I, I think if you could do away with beef, it's not the worst thing in the world. Ross is in the Bronx. Hello, Ross. Good evening, Frank. Um the uh, coincidences mm-hmm. that it was just on. I have got so many of them. It's incredible. So I'll tell you one, one time, uh, some years ago, I was not feeling well. I stayed home from work and I was lying in bed and I was just, you know, trying to recuperate and my window was opened and then this little mouse came in. He fell down, you know, he jumped down off the, off the windowsill. So now I get up out of the bed and I'm chasing him around the room. I got a, a, one of my work boots, and next to me, on, on, on next to my bed, I had like a night table. I had a bunch of books, and as I'm chasing this mouse around out of, around out of the corner of my eye, I've seen Steinbecks of mice and men. <laughs> I mean, what are the chances? I've had so many of them. Um, another time, I was in Ireland. This was back in the 70s, and uh, I was in the middle of nowhere. I mean, way in the west of Ireland, a little village. So it was raining. I went into this pub, and I sat down. I'm having a beer, and I'm talking to this guy. So he asks me where I'm from. I tell him where I'm from, and he says, um, do you know so-and-so? And I says, uh, yeah, yeah, I went to high school with him. Ah, sure, that's my nephew, he says. So, um, gosh, it, it's pretty wild. I'll tell you one more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are there interconnect? I mean, is there is this fitting in with a broader point? I mean, there are interesting coincidences, but uh, I mean, I, I think everybody experiences them. I, I guess that's the point of why we are we explored it as a segment. I, I just I'm, I'm eager to hear what this last one is. But w- what's the point? Okay. I guess I, it's just it's just these coincidences, synchronicity, the, mm-hmm. the crazy things that happen to me. I'd be reading a book. And I could be come reading a sentence, and it'll have the most obscure thing on it. I like to have a radio or a TV on, and someone on the TV and radio will say, you know, exactly if I was reading uh, something and it said Notre Dame, and I'm reading Notre Dame on the page, and someone will say it over the TV or the radio. Last year, I'm a uh, uh, Sunday afternoon. I sat down and I, I just kind of dozed off lightly in the uh, on the sofa. And I was just coming out of the sleep, and I say the name of this guy that I have not seen. I probably haven't seen him in 50 years, easily. So I Google his name. He died, like, the week before. Mm. That was just, you know. But um, well, well, I mean, you go. again, I, thanks, I, I, Russ. I, I mean, this happens all the time, right? I guess that's why we did the segment. That's why we explored this. And, again, when we explored the idea of synchronicity, um, I don't know, I guess it was a month or so ago, we could have done four hours just on stories like the ones that Ross just shared. My interest is, is uh, look, I, it is always interesting to hear these coincidences, but my interest is in exploring why. Why do these things keep happening? Why are they so common? And I think it's something beyond just 
the psychology of noticing things. I think it's something beyond just noticing something that was going to occur anyway. I, I don't think that's the case. So what is it? I'm open to anything. I'm open to the mystical. Uh, I am open to the computer simulation, glitch in the matrix theory. I'm open to the law of attraction. I'm open to anything. And uh, it's one of the re- and I'm hoping to have Dr. Brightman back because he I'm looking forward to reading this book and he delves in a big way into a lot of the different coincidences that people have experienced over over time. All right. Without further ado, it is time for The Other Side of Midnight presents Denunciations. Ah, yes. Let me denounce this person. I don't believe we have this person's name yet, but even if we did, I don't think I would use it. This person who murdered a dog in Brooklyn. I don't know if you read about this story. But a determined dog lover sought personal justice for her murdered dog last week, returning to the scene of the crime and coming face to face with the man she believes she blames for the beating death of her golden retriever in Brooklyn's Prospect Park. Armed with a bottle of pepper spray, Jessica Krustick followed the suspected dog killer for 15 minutes along narrow park paths and streets with wide sidewalks until he suddenly turned the tables and came after her again with a can of mace and a stick. So she told the New York Daily News about this. She said, I was scared, but she was ready to act for her dog, Moose, who died in surgery meant to help him recover from a violent beating during the summer. So the death of Moose has become a major issue in Prospect Park, raising a lot of questions about vigilantism, safety, justice, compassion, the city's treatment of the mentally ill. And round two began a week ago, a week ago today, when a friend called her and told her she saw this same guy outside the park. So she catches up with this guy. And he was half talking to himself. At one point, he said, why are you following me? She didn't engage with him at all. But her plan to keep tabs on him went awry. She trailed him to from Fifth Street into Prospect Park, then to Garfield Place, making calls the whole time to 911 and to the detectives who were assigned to her case. While the case remains under investigation, no arrests have been made. The pursuit goes on for 15 minutes. And she lost track of him, and then suddenly he appeared. He came out of nowhere between some cars at full speed. He chased her. He pulls out mace and tries to mace her. He also swung his stick at her. According to Miss Krustick, she also had pepper spray, but it wasn't working properly, so she ran. And she's a runner. She's run five marathons. She said she's never run faster in her life. And um, she was literally running for her life. Cops responding to the 911 call arrived after the confrontation. They put her in the back of a police vehicle, searched the area for the man, but he had disappeared. So he's still out there, apparently. And uh, I don't know if he's going to try and chase after a person again or kill a dog, but whoever that guy is, I do denounce you. I must also denounce Macy's. 
Macy's is coming under fire, and I, I think rightly so, for their new philosophy in that they're no longer allowing men to try on dress shirts. Now, I don't do a lot of shopping anyway, so chances are this is rarely, if ever, going to affect me. But I am I do like to root for brick-and-mortar retailers. And, and one of the things that brick-and-mortar retailers have to do in order to compete with Internet sales is they have to be better and offer more services than what the Internet is doing. And by Macy's pulling back on what they were already offering, that's not going to help brick-and-mortar people keep their job. It's going to drive more people to the Internet. When I, was, when I saw the story over the re- weekend, uh, I talked about it with people that I encountered. You know what so many of them said to me? Well, it doesn't affect me. That's why I buy everything online. Or, uh, oh, I'm, I'm just going to buy things online now. What's the difference? I, I think this is so short-sighted on the part of Macy's. I must also denounce Anton Krasovsky. The director of broadcasting for RT, this is a prominent Russian state TV figure. Um, Well, he's a TV host. Um, And he made some reprehensible remarks about this conflict in Ukraine. He was talking with the science fiction writer Sergei Lekoyanko. And they were talking about dehumanizing Ukrainians and casually discussing raping and killing them. During the exchange, the science fiction writer said he had heard stories about Viagra packs being handed out to Russian soldiers as an example of hysteria and sick fantasies. Krasovsky interjected and said, quote, for them to rape Ukrainian grannies, God, those grannies would spend their burial savings to get raped by Russian soldiers. He also said Ukrainian children should be thrown straight into a river with a strong current or burned in a hut. I mean, look, I'm a guy that's fine with hyperbole. I'm fine with jokes. I'm fine with inappropriate jokes. I'm not okay with in the middle of a war where people are going to die or lose their homes. I'm not okay with making jokes about raping grandmothers, burning children. I mean, this guy is a total disgrace. He has apologized. He's also been suspended. But uh, this is just reprehensible. I must denounce Dorothy Annette Clements, a mother in Virginia, who is charged with murder. After her four-year-old son ate a large amount of THC gummies. So, her son died after suffering a medical emergency. And detectives investigating this learned that the, doc- that the child's toxicity level showed a high level of THC. And apparently he ingested a huge amount of these THC gummies and doctors told investigators that the child's death could have been prevented if medical intervention occurred shortly after the ingestion. So not only is this mother so awful, 
that she leaves these THC gummies lying around for her four-year-old to consume them. But even after he consumed them, she didn't take him to the hospital right away. Not until he was getting super sick and almost dying. This woman is a total disgrace, and I do denounce you. I must also denounce air pollution. The more that we are learning about air pollution, the more it appears that it affects dementia. One in 10 Americans age 65 and older is estimated to have dementia. One of the 12 modifiable risk factors for dementia is air pollution. Researchers from the Western University, London, Ontario, Canada, found that higher exposure to particulate matter in traffic-related air pollution increased a person's dementia risk. Scientists say a person's dementia risk increased by 3% for every one microgram per cubic meter of fine particulate matter they were exposed to. So um, particulate matter is, I don't know, could come from smog. It's the type of air pollution that's uh, tiny pieces of solid particles mixed with liquid droplets. And they can include dust, dirt, smoke, or soot. And when you think of air pollution, you often think of things that are going to make it more difficult for you to breathe. You don't always necessarily think of things that are going to cause you to lose your mind. I think the latter is potentially even scarier than the former. So air pollution, I do denounce you. I must also denounce the motion picture, One Missed Call. I thought this was appropriate for Halloween weekend. I looked at a list of the worst horror movies of all time, according to Rotten Tomatoes. There, the website, Rotten Tomatoes. There are a lot of bad horror movies out there. We're going to talk about some great horror movies and some mediocre horror movies with Ron McCluskey in just a few minutes, but there are some really terrible ones. A relatively high ratio of just pure junk. According to critics on the tomato meter, the horror film with the absolute worst cumulative ranking of all time is One Missed Call from 2008. It is at 0%. On the tomato meter. According to the tomato meter, this is the worst horror movie of all time. And I haven't seen it yet. Now I want to see this. I mean, you think I've seen so many bad horror movies. Could this really be the worst of all time? I have to find out. So after the runaway success of The Ring, there was just a glut of uninspired remakes after this. They say this is the absolute worst. Unlike a lot of the other movies on the list of the 10 worst horror movies, it isn't even fun bad. It's just monotonous. You could put this on your bedroom television to help you sleep. It's, um, so I want to see this to make sure it's as bad as they say. But uh, one missed call, 
I do denounce you. I must also denounce, speaking of ignominious lists to be on, I must also denounce the state of Louisiana. WalletHub has ranked the, the safest and least safest states in the country, 1 through 50, measuring things like violent crime and 11 other criteria. And they found that the least safe state in the country per capita is Louisiana. So, Louisiana, I do denounce you. I must also denounce red dye number three. It now appears as if um, the FDA is claiming that red dye number three is a carcinogen. It causes cancer. The FDA says it causes cancer, yet it, it is in hundreds of... Of candies and other foods. And um, the scientists have urged the the FDA to ban red dye number three. It's already prohibited in cosmetics like lipsticks or blush. um, But it's in all sorts of common candy that your children or grandchildren might be eating this weekend. Candy corn, nerds, peeps, pez, sweet tarts, hundreds of others, candies, cakes, and other foods. And it's funny, I was looking at this, there's one item on here that my wife and I eat. There's a Morningstar fake bacon, it's like a soy bacon, that this dye is in this soy bacon. I'm going to, now I know my wife listens to the show, sometimes she fast forwards through denunciations because she finds it a little too negative, but um, I'm going to tell her this weekend, no more of this Morningstar fake bacon. I don't want to get uh, cancer from eating fake bacon. You eat fake bacon, you think you're doing something kind of healthy, and sure enough, you're consuming a carcinogen. I would like to denounce the rogue New York Post employee that went on a, a tirade on social media yesterday tweeting all sorts of vulgar and racist tweets and headlines, both on Twitter and on their website. The posts on Twitter included a reference to Governor Kathy Hochul of New York, falsely attributing statements about her to Congressman Zeldin, as well as posts about Eric Adams and President Biden's son, Hunter. The employee, whose name we don't have, also used the Post's internal publishing system to republish an editorial about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and change the byline to conservative commentator Ben Shapiro. The headline was changed to say, quote, we must assassinate AOC for America. So they fired this person right away, and uh, they put out a statement that said the New York Post's investigation indicates that the unauthorized conduct was committed by an employee and the employee has been terminated. This morning, we immediately removed the vile and reprehensible content from our website and social media accounts. So there you have it. And finally, um, I want to denounce Donda Academy. Donda Academy is shutting down, it's a school, And they are shutting down for the school year after the recent anti-Semitic statements made by the Academy's founder, 
Kanye West, the artist formerly known as Kanye West. Now, I'm told by my friend Danielle that uh, we have an obligation, morally and otherwise, to simply refer to him as Ye, because that's his legal name and we should respect that. So according to an email from the principal, the decision to close was made by Ye, and um, he said, uh, the principal wrote, quote, Our leadership team will be working diligently to assist all families during this transition, ensuring that every scholar has what they need to succeed in their next community in a prompt and gracious manner. Now, I know Ye is probably hurting for cash these days, right? He's losing, what we say, $150 million because of this deal with Adidas alone. Um, And I'm sure he was paying quite a bit of money to fund this school to Force this school to close in the middle of the school year like this, it's really cruel. It's not fair to the students. It's not fair to the parents. The students didn't do anything. So because this fella is mentally ill or can't control his anger towards Jews on social media, they have to close school? I don't like this one bit. Donda Academy and all those that made the decision to close this school... I do denounce you. All right. It is Frankenstein Friday. We're going to talk about Frankenstein's monster and the man behind the monster, the greatest actor ever to play Frankenstein, a ca- Frankenstein's monster, a character that many people have played over the years, Boris Karloff. We're going to explore it with Ron McCluskey straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. side of midnight on Frank Moreno. Monday is Halloween. And uh, I, if you're like me, I don't know how much time I'm actually going to spend doing this this weekend because we got the World Series and got some trick-or-treating to do and some, you know, maybe even a Halloween party to go to. I'm going to try and vote early on Saturday, which I like to do. But one of my favorite activities on Halloween weekend, especially Frankenstein Friday, is to watch horror movies. And I, I always there's a, so many great horror films out there that I haven't seen, uh, but there's a lot of great ones that I've seen a hundred times, and I just can see them a hundred more. And one of them is the 1931 version of Frankenstein. There's a lot of great things uh, to like about this picture, and... I think right near the top of the list, beyond the story, which has just been great ever since Mary Shelley wrote it in book form, beyond the story, the the aspect of Frankenstein's monster in this film is simply without peer. And the person that really brought that monster to life was Boris Karloff. 
I am very pleased uh, to be joined by someone that has studied this uh, sphere for a long time. He's a performer, a writer, a TV host, a cinema historian, and producer of the documentary Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster, Ron McCluskey. Ron, thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Morano, first of all, I have to tell you how terrific you are. Oh, well. But. You no no you you're the most important man in radio because you know who your audience is. Uh, I, I haven't the foggiest. Tell me, <laughs> your audience are the people that work the graveyard shift. <laughs> you're the that's the audience I want to get to, and man, you're the king. I love it. Well, uh, that's very kind of you to say, Ron. So, uh, Ron, for people that might not be familiar with uh with your background uh you've you've got a great uh, website where you uh talk about classic cinema it's uh classic movies with uh ron mccluskey uh and uh, there's some great stuff on there and i want to talk about the karloff documentary in just a minute but you do a, a lot of other things you you have sort of tell me about this website what are folks going to learn uh on uh classic movies with ron mccluskey well, here's the thing about me, Frank. I, I'm I'm a creative guy, and it's a blessing and a curse. You know, I, you know, I can't just be a regular fan and and watch a movie and whatever. I got to go out and I got to create things and do things and learn things. And the movies they made back then, I mean, just it, it, incredible. I mean, the 30s, 40s, and 50s. You know, Hollywood really had it right, and they and they had movie stars and they had the Dream Factory, and just a lot of that unfortunately is lost today because some of the uh, films that are made and how they're made but boy those actors were just great so so wonderful in what they did and Karloff Boris Karloff was you know it was really the American dream I mean he came to this country and wanted to act and fought his way and learned and just got better and better and he was 44 before Frankenstein I mean you know he was hardly making it he should have quit but he didn't he said, no, this is what I want to do with my life, and it turned out to be a wonderful career for him. So um, it, before we talk about the Karloff documentary, sure. you also do something called Adams Fest in uh, Westfield, New Jersey, where we have a, a lot of listeners. Uh, I guess you're a fan of the Adams family, needless to say. Well, no, I, I, through life, I've been very, very blessed, and by just sheer coincidence, I was born in the same hometown as cartoonist Charles Adams, and that's Westfield, New Jersey. And Charles Adams uh, grew up in that town. He loved dark, creepy things in cemeteries, and he took that love for art and that monster word and world and combined it and created the Adams Family. In fact, you were talking before about uh, an academy you were denouncing, but there's now Nevermore Academy. And Nevermore Academy is where Wednesday Adams goes to school, and I just saw a preview, and it is great. Is excellent. It's going to be on Netflix November 23rd. Oh, great. Hey, so uh, if people want to learn more about Adams Fest or go to it, when is the next Adams Fest? Well, it, it's currently happening right now. It, it happens every single October, every year. This is the fifth year and this coming weekend. And uh, there's so many things to do. There are, are art contests that the kids can do. There's a gallery wow. display where you can see Adams' work and his actual drawing board. And it's just great. And you learn all about the Adams family. And of course, everybody knows and loves the Adams family. 
And again, I got to compliment you on opening our segment with that Edgar Winter tune, Frankenstein. Well, yeah, no, it's a great, great tune. If people want to learn more about uh, Adams Fest, they can go to adamsfest.com and see the Correct. different events that are on there, the schedule events. It's fun. It's uh, Adams, obviously, with two Ds. All right. Uh, let us talk about uh, Boris Karloff. What sparked your interest in Karloff as a person, as an actor, as a subject of this documentary? There's a lot of old school, great movie actors. Obviously, Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr., Bela Lugosi, uh, Vincent Price. The list goes on and on. Why choose? And I watched the documentary, uh, and I thought it was uh, was terrific. We're going to tell people great. how they can see it in uh, in just a minute, but. I could tell how much work went into this documentary. Why focus, of all people, on Karloff? Well, this was a passion for me for uh, when I was a little kid. I started at seven years old in 1962. I got my first Frankenstein model, and I just fell in love with it. Uh, during that time period, you have to realize you also had famous monster of Filmland, a great magazine on the newsstands. And you had the toy stores, the, the models in the toy stores. And then you had the movies late at night. They were shown 11 o'clock and midnight. I grew up in the New York area, so I had a guy named John Zachary as my host. And he just he just introduced me to all these wonderful films. And when you're a child and, and you're watching in the dark on this small black and white TV, Frankenstein, you, you just it, it really grips you. It really holds you. And as I got older and I started reading about the movie, I then learned about Boris Karloff and just a wonderful man and a wonderful actor. And 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 the whole backstory to Frankenstein is interesting too, Frank, for the fact that Lugosi was the hit first in Dracula that came out earlier in 31. He was offered the role of the monster. He turned it down. James Whale, who was a British director, wanted to go a different way, a complete unknown. And he literally just picked Karloff and and everything changed. So what were, you alluded to the fact that Karloff didn't achieve this incredible cinematic uh, success until his 40s. What Correct. was Karloff doing? What was life for Boris Karloff like before Frankenstein? I think a lot of us, even those of us that call ourselves fans of Karloff, in our view, life sort of began when he did that role of Frankenstein's monster. Before he appeared in the film Frankenstein, what was he doing with himself? Well, first of all, he grew up in England, and his whole family was into uh, the government service. And, and they did a lot for Britain in, in places like China and India. And his, his grandfather, his father, uh, most of all his brothers, they were all dedicated to doing this for for England. In fact, one brother was knighted uh, by the Queen, and he was called Sir. Uh, another brother uh, knew and worked with Mahatma Gandhi. So very, very influential people. But he secretly wanted to act. That's what he wanted to do. And he said, if I'm going to do this, I don't want to do it here because if I fail, you know, it's going to embarrass my family. So he says, OK, I'm going to go to another country. So at age 21, he went to Montreal. And he literally worked his way across the country learning how to act, and he just got better and better at it. By the time he got to Vancouver, Canada, he went down to San Francisco. He's acting. Someone says, hey, there's a new thing going on called talking movies or, or motion pictures. Go down there. So he went down there, and again, he started at the bottom, and he just worked his way up and got better and better. And then again, he had made 80 movies, Frank, 80 movies, and still was living from film to film. Wow. Uh, it's absolutely inc around. incredible. Yeah. And it says a lot about the 
economics of uh, of motion pictures back then as well. We're talking with Ron McCluskey. He is a producer, a performer, a uh, writer, a host, and uh, he's got this terrific documentary uh, called Bars Karloff, The Man Behind the Monster, which I've seen. It's great. It's got some great people interviewed for it. Some people that uh, you may not know, other people that are household names. Let's talk about uh, Karloff's portrayal of Frankenstein's monster. A lot of actors have played Frankenstein's monster over the years. I think going back over 100 years, we've seen different people try their hand at uh, Frankenstein's monster. Nobody quite did it like Karloff. As far as you're concerned, Ron, what was it that made Karloff's uh, portrayal of the monster so different and so unique as opposed to those folks that had played the monster before and after? Well, for in my opinion, it was it's a magical time. Um, it really took the geniuses of three people to create that image that we see. One is director Jack uh, James Whale, who was so important in getting this film made. Uh, the other was, and a lot of people don't talk about this man, Jack Pierce, who did the makeup. I mean, Jack Pierce was incredible. He did the mummy, he did the wolfman, and he did Frankenstein's monster. And then, of course, Karloff himself. And as you see in that film, Frankie, not only is a great actor, but he could pantomime. He could perform without saying a word, and he he and the images, the images from that film were never done before. The creation scene, the the graveyard scene, the mob, you know, chasing the monster. He just had such pathos, and and children related to his character more than anyone else. And he used to get thousands of letters from children empathizing with the creature because again you know when you're growing up and this may have happened to you frank sometimes you're all alone you know you kind of feel like you know nobody else gets what you get and 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 you felt that as a kid and then as you got older and you found out thousands of people loved karloff thousands of i mean they have conventions all over the country in fact this weekend sarah karloff will be in new jersey at a convention called chiller theater it starts later today, Friday, and it's Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and you can meet Boris Karloff's daughter. That's cool, and she's terrific in this documentary. So um, this is Sarah Karloff, and how can people wh- – where is the uh, documentary – excuse me, where is the Chiller Theater? Where can people see this? Where can they meet her? Yeah, it's at the Parsippany Hilton, which is right off of Route 10 in Parsippany, New Jersey, and she's been attending this, I don't know, since 1995 or so. And I, I started when I was, was younger and used to – and it's great, Frank. You meet old movie stars, old TV stars, and it's wonderful. And you get to interact That's with great. these people. And uh, So, yeah, so it's a great thing to do. And like I said, I could not have done this film without the help of Sarah Karloff. She was so important in getting this thing done, and I thank her very, very much. One of the things that uh, really spoke to me about Karloff's portrayal of the monster is the sort of incredible balance, and you, I think, just touched upon this a minute ago, is the incredible balance between him being scared and also him being someone that you sympathized with. Uh, I think a lot of us could be scared by Bela Lugosi's portrayal of uh, Count Dracula but you don't necessarily ever find yourself feeling bad for him. Frankenstein's monster, while he might be scary, 
you do feel feel for him when he's being traced by villagers and things like that. And the fact that Karloff is able to convey those emotions without any dialogue, to me, it has got to be one of the greatest acting performances in history. Oh, no, I agree. And and the book is, is also very, very powerful. The original uh, novel written by, believe it or not, a teenage girl, <laughs> Mary Shelley, uh, in, in her book, she has the creature killing strictly out of revenge and her his hatred for how the world has treated him. And the book, in my opinion, I don't want to get too heavy here, but the book, in my opinion, is one of the greatest books of prejudice ever written because it's a story of a creature that was not loved or, or embraced strictly because of his appearance. That's it. Now, in the movie, they decided to take that same thing. And again, I can't believe how how – Hollywood 1931 could take that that same theme and turn it into a movie, which is just uh, so wonderful. I mean, mm. you're right. I mean, the, the way he I mean, he kills people in the movie, but sometimes it's out of self-defense or by accident. Right. And, and, and the scene with the little girl at the lake. I mean, that was strictly an accident. And again, you just felt so bad. Now, if you took that film. And you combined it with The Bride of Frankenstein, and a lot of people, what they do now with The Godfathers, they show one and two together as one movie. And people go, oh, my God, look at Al Pacino. Look at what he did. Well, you you have to say the same thing with Karloff because he does such a performance from that first film to The Bride of Frankenstein. It's just it, – it's it, it's a lesson in acting. Oh, no, you're absolutely right. I found myself – in addition to watching the documentary last weekend, I found myself watching uh, Bride of Frankenstein, um, <laughs> and it it holds up just as well uh, these days as it did ninety years ago. Well, obviously, I think those are probably the two best known Karloff takes on Frankenstein's monster. He played the monster in a number of other films as well. Some were great, some were mediocre, some were not so great. If you had to pick. What is the beyond those first two? Because those James Whale versions of uh, Frankenstein and the Bride of Frankenstein are just without peer. But if you had to pick of all the other Karloff Frankenstein films, what's the best? What's the worst? Well, a lot of people, for some reason, do not like Frankenstein 1970. I love it. It's a great film. It has one of the best openings of a horror film of all time. And then there's a scene where Karloff is down at the uh, catacombs and he's talking about the Frankenstein family. And, and it's just a wonderful performance. He was also great in the House of Frankenstein. And he was also great <laughs> in a, a film I don't know if you ever saw called Mad Monster Party, which was an animated uh, film. And Karloff played Baron Frankenstein in that. But, Frank, this guy, he, he made a film called The Black Room, which is amazing about an evil twin and a good twin. He made a movie called The uh, Body Snatcher, and both of those should – he should have been nominated for mm. an Academy Award. But back then, people didn't look at horror films they, the way they do today. Yeah, You know, it's uh, great points all. And one of the things I really enjoyed about your documentary, The uh, the Man Behind the Monster, is that I ended up learning and getting my interest peaked in a number of other non-Frankenstein Karloff films, for instance, Targets, I uh, learned yeah. about through your documentary, and I'm making a point to see that now. 
Um, so, uh, so Frankenstein, nineteen seventy. It sounds like that would be your vote for underrated. Sounds like you give pretty yeah. high remar- high marks to House of Frankenstein. That being said, if you had to pick worst Frankenstein film that Carlo Karloff plays the monster in, what is it? Well, you know. He, he he made some films with Evan Costello, which was kind of low grade for him. He he didn't appreciate their humor, so he was he wasn't in Evan Costello meet Frankenstein, which I thought was a very good film. But he had to do publicity for them. Um, I don't know another Frankenstein well, ex- film. Explain that- explain to me how that works. Why why if he wasn't in the film, did he have to do publicity for it? Well, because <laughs> Universal was smart enough to know that if they associate Karloff with the film, then they're going to think that Karloff's playing the monster. Mm. But it wasn't. It was Glenn Strange. So they were smart. <laughs> In fact, Karloff actually says, says, I'll do the publicity as long as I don't have to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> because, <laughs> see, and here's the other great thing about him being an actor, and I know I'm diverging a little bit from your question, so I'm sorry. But he cared so much about that character that he created he felt that after the son of Frankenstein, it couldn't go any further. Not mm. not with him. Not not with him as the actor. He just felt, you know, it, it, the monster was not going to be looked at the same anymore. So he actually turned it down and, and said, no, I can't do this anymore. If you want me to be somebody else or do something else in a Frankenstein film, I will. So, again, at least he had the integrity to say, hey, this is what I think was done. It was done right. You know, let's not screw it up and let me move on to something else. I actually really enjoyed the film Frankenstein meets the Wolfman. That's where, um, uh, obviously, those two iconic monsters uh, meet uh, with one another. And Bella Lugosi uh, plays the monster in in that film. Bella Lugosi spoke uh, very openly about the fact that he wasn't crazy about playing Frankenstein. As you mentioned, he turned down this role when it was offered to right. him in 1931. What is it about Lugosi's portrayal of the monster that just didn't seem to work as it might have for Karloff? Well, I'll tell you what. There's good news and bad news about Bela Lugosi, as far as I'm concerned. The bad news is he never learned the English language that well, and he kind of kept with his own people and didn't learn how to expand more in the business. You know, he was a a good actor, but the business-wise, unfortunately, he just couldn't do things up to the same level as Karloff. So with him betraying the monster, finally, it, it it just was terrible. It was a terrible performance. That's the bad news. Here's the great news, and most people don't even realize it's the same actor. Nobody played Igor better than Bela Lugosi. Mm. Mm. And uh, most people don't know. They go, that way, what, that's Lugosi? That's <laughs> a great point. I'm, I'm way late here, but I have to ask you this. Sure. Their two careers have been so intertwined, Lugosi and Karloff. What was their right. relationship like with one another? Well, they they kind of knew each other. Again, they didn't socialize in the same circles. And, uh, you know, after a while, uh, uh, Karloff felt sorry. He used to call him poor Bella. And, you know, he, he would get in films, but unfortunately they were all low-grade films and monogram films and films that weren't very well done. But he needed the money, you know, so he needed the money and he went on and did things, but it just, he, he never equaled. But, you know, Hollywood's done that a lot, Frank. Sure. I mean, you know, they did that with Kelly and Astaire, you know, with John Wayne and other Western actors. You know, they always tried to create something going on. So they wanted to say there was a rivalry, but there really wasn't. Karloff, to me, was hands and soldiers above uh, Lugosi. Was, um, was uh, Karloff typecast after playing the monster? 
Yeah, you know what? He was, but he said the monster was the best friend I ever had because he embraced it. He know he said, look, this is how people look at me, so I'm going to go ahead and do this. But if you look at his career, which we point out in the documentary, I mean, this was this man was on radio, live television. He was on Broadway, nominated for a grant uh, for a Tony, won the Grammy. I mean, this guy. And, and again, he did three things that most people hope for in a lifetime. He did three things that will stand out forever. First of all, he was the monster in Frankenstein, which will always be part of film history. He was in Arsenic and Old Lace on Broadway in a role written just for him. And then he's the voice of the Grinch and how the Grinch stole Christmas. Yeah, no, it went, the next time you come back, we have to talk about what that did for his career. Most important question, Ron, how can people yeah. see the documentary? Well, there's several ways. First of all, it is currently streaming on two services, Tubi, which is T-U-B-I, and Shudder. And then it just came out on uh, Blue, uh, Blu-ray and uh, on DVD. And you can get it at Amazon, at Best Buy, and at Walmart. All right, so people should search Boris Karloff, the man behind the monster. Ron McCloskey, thanks so much. Let's talk again soon. Thank you, Fran, and thank you for all your audience members. I love them. Uh, well, hey, uh, the graveyard shift, as you said. <laughs> uh, if you want to comment on any portion of my conversation with Ron McCloskey, you're welcome to. 800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Side of midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Uh, we're going to get to your calls in just a minute. By the way, uh, we are doing this show today without the services of our producer, Alex Barnard, who informed me yesterday afternoon or early yesterday evening that, uh, that he's been sick. So he was calling in sick today and that he was going to be back Sunday night into Monday morning. Now, I am uh, all for, I want to be very clear, I am all for people calling in sick. And uh, because the last thing I want people doing is coming to work sick and getting me sick. However, I am somewhat suspicious when it's the week of your birthday and you're kind of a young guy and you call out sick on a Friday. Okay, you know, we have to stay late on Friday for the Friday weekly meeting that we do. Eh, I just wonder if this is a case of the Friday flu. Again, I'm glad he took a sick day, but uh, a little suspicious. So anyway, we did get and my wife is still sick. And now uh, our babysitter, Lorraine, she's sick. So. I'm the only one that is uh, apparently immune to whatever is going on. Alex is coming down with it. 
my wife, Lorraine, everybody, not me. I'm refusing to get sick. Mentally, I'm refusing. I'm upping my supplement supply significantly. So um, in any event, we um, we are without the services of Alex Barnard today, but thankfully his music lives on. You could search it on iTunes and uh, and everywhere else. All right. Uh, no more guests, so we're going to have plenty of time to take your calls for the next hour. Uh, we'll take your calls on anything and everything. 800-848-9222. I have some interesting stories that I'm going to share as well. Until next hour, in the words of the great Bob Grant, your influence counts. Make sure you use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It's Friday, Halloween weekend. You know, that uh, chiller festival that uh, Ron was saying in uh, Persephone, New Jersey, it sounds pretty cool. I I actually am very tempted to maybe try and get there today or tomorrow, but I'm also very tempted to try and sleep. So so we'll see. I'm not going to go, but... um, if if you end up going, I'd be curious to know how it goes. Hey, here's a question for you. What is the worst thing about flying? What is the one spot you don't want to be in an airplane? What is it? It's the middle seat, right? Nobody likes a middle seat. Some people like the window. Some people like the aisle. I like both. Middle seat is tough. People do not like it. You feel, con- you know, really constrained. It's tough to move around. Even if you're super petite, there's just something really difficult about that middle seat. You end up sharing an armrest with someone. Well, I have to tell you, Virgin Australia is doing something that I think is absolutely brilliant. I am shocked that nobody has thought of this before. And I think this is a great idea. And I hope every airline in this country and maybe even some international airlines follow suit on this. Virgin Australia is offering travelers the chance to turn their dreaded middle seat into a lottery ticket. A lottery ticket. The airline announced the launch of the middle seat lottery on Monday to transform the middle seats on the airline's domestic flights from the least favorite to the most fun and wonderful. More than $230,000 of prizes will be given away through April 23rd to travelers who either select 
or who are assigned a middle seat on Virgin Australia. Less than 1% of travelers choose the middle seat intentionally. I'm not surprised. As they as their first choice. The aisle seat was the most preferred, and then the window uh, was preferred by about 34% of the people. The new contest and um, another similar campaign, will, they hope that this is going to be a big thing for this airline and return them to profitability. This airline filed and exited bankruptcy two years ago. The contest is open to only, and this is the one thing about it I don't like, it should be open to everybody. The contest is open only to its Velocity members who are Australian residents and 18 or older. It should be open to everybody. They also need to fly in a middle seat on a Virgin Australia-operated domestic flight by April 18th. Many airlines kept the middle seats empty in the early days of the coronavirus pandemic in order to reduce exposure, that's gone. These middle seats are packed, and they are packing people into these airplanes like sardines. I am curious if you knew. Obviously, I guess it would depend on the odds, right, what your chances are. But if you knew you were getting a lottery ticket for prizes and money by getting a middle seat, would you choose one? 800-848-9222. That's 800-848-9222. I don't think you have to guess as to my answer. I'm a gambler. I have that gambler's mentality. You know, all, so many of my friends and a lot of my family members, they all do these online sports gambling, DraftKings and this and that, FanDuel. And everyone says, oh, do you have a DraftKings account? Do you have this? And my answer is always absolutely not. Why not? Everybody's doing it. It's legal now in New York. I am afraid of gambling being that easy. I know that I have a personality that, I don't want to say it's addictive, but it is obsessive. And uh, I like to gamble. So what I like to do is bring with me to a casino whatever amount of money I'm prepared to lose. And if I lose it, that's it. I don't cry about it. I, I lose it. And if I win, great. But once you start gambling on your phone and you could just with a couple of clicks make a couple of picks about your um, what you're doing every single day, that is, uh, that's very tricky. But that's a separate discussion. That's why I don't do it. But I would absolutely purchase a middle seat if they said, hey, you get this middle seat, you have a one out of 100 chance of Getting of winning a thousand dollars, you better believe I'm buying that middle seat every single time. Uh, whenever I have an opportunity to, go, there are a lot of nice restaurants in the Coney Island area in Brooklyn. All sorts of different types of food. One of my favorite places to go is Gargiulo's, and it's not only because the food is great, which it is, but it's because at the end of the meal, have you ever been to Gargiulo's? You know what I'm about to say. At the end of the meal, the waiter comes over to you. And he brings a bottle, like a, you know, a bowl with 100 numbers. And you have to pick a number between 1 and 100. And you tell him your pick. He writes it down. I always pick 77, name uh, the number for my favorite radio station in the New York area. And he then has you pull out one of these little bulbs with the number on it. And if, you're, if your number is selected, your meal is free. And 
I love the food at Gargiulo's, but sometimes if I'm on the fence of going to Gargiulo's or another restaurant, I will always pick Gargiulo's. And even though I've never won, in my brain, there's still that chance that I might win that free dinner. So I love what they're doing here. And I'm curious what you would do if Delta started doing this, if Southwest started doing this, JetBlue, if they started offering prizes or a chance at a prize for purchasing a middle seat, would you make that middle seat your first choice? My answer, 100% resounding, absolutely yes. 800-848-9222. What about you, Matt Blaze? You have an opinion on this? Absolutely not. No, you're still not picking that middle seat. No. First of all, they're probably going to jack the price up now in the middle seat just because they know somebody's going to get a thousand dollars. Because and there'll be so much demand for the middle seat, and then it's still the middle seat. Right. Well, <laughs> uh, it's true. Uh, you know, I, I can't disagree with you, but I don't know that they're going to jack the price up, but. Uh, they may. Who knows? Uh, so among the prizes that Virgin uh, that Virgin is offering, Vir- Virgin Australia. Oh, see, I hate reading these articles online. These ads just start playing. So among the prizes that Virgin Australia is offering, a full-day helicopter pub crawl. How cool is that? A two-night vacation in uh, Australia that includes flights, accommodations, and a bungee jump. There's also flights and tickets to the Australian Football League Grand Final with exclusive access to the pregame lunch and after party. I love this. I almost wish I had an airline now just so I could do this. This is great. Uh, 800-848-9222. Today is game one of the World Series. I will be supporting the Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, to show solidarity with my league, the National League. Yep. Sorry. Now, whatever happens with this World Series, this is going to be a story of revenge, one way or another. The last team to beat the Astros in the World Series was, well, the last team to beat the Astros was the Phillies. The last team to beat the Phillies in a World Series, the Astros. So it's a little bit of revenge either way that this goes. Here's what's interesting, and I did not know this until I read this yesterday. For the first time since 1950, shortly after Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier in baseball, for the first time since 1950, Not a single U.S.-born black player is expected to play in this World Series. Isn't that incredible? Black players made up 7.2% of the opening rosters for baseball teams this year. That is the lowest percentage in at least 30 years. For whatever reason, black athletes are turning away from baseball. You know, 35 years ago... It was not unusual to see a whole bunch of black athletes uh, and, excuse me, black baseball players specifically. Now, there are black athletes in other sports, football, for instance, uh, basketball, even a growing number in hockey, soccer. But you're not seeing U.S.-born black athletes attracted to baseball. And I wonder why that's the case. 
Also, this is interesting, at 45.7 years old, the seven umpires that are going to be umpiring the World Series average more than five years younger than World Series crews over the past decade. The most surprising factor is that younger umpires tend to score more highly with ball strike calls that follow Major League Baseball guidelines. So with popularity rising for these robot umpires that are being used in the minors, which I think is a total disaster, Major League Baseball wants to minimize complaints about bad calls. So this is a World Series of young umpires and a lot of white players and a lot of Hispanic players. It certainly is. Original Rick is in New Jersey. Hello, Original Rick. Morning, Frank. Good morning. I just have a a couple things on that coincidence you were talking about. You know, what what are coincidences and stuff? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I didn't know if you you sounded so quiet. I thought you had lost you. Yeah, well, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't think it's the matrix situation, but I think it's something based in reality that's just as strange. The Einstein theory of the three states of time existing at the same time, the past, present, and future, I think it might be an abnormality in that actual situation where the present, the future backs up for some reason, like a traffic jam, and the present bumps into the future. So you start getting a melding, and all of a sudden you're getting a what's going to happen in the future a little bit in the future. Just like uh, ghosts, where they have the residual hauntings, that might be where the present is backing up and the past is bumping into the present, and we're seeing the past. What do you think? Well, I, hey, that has a, a lot of resonance with me. I, I could buy that. Absolutely. It makes sense. Is that an original theory by you, or is that a yeah, theory yeah, that, 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 that is? Well, hey, that, that, yeah. That's pretty good, Rick. I, I would. Uh, if, I think if you were to write an article or something about that, I think there'd be an audience for that. I think uh, that makes sense to me. Oh, thank you. It's thank no you stranger than anything else I've heard. No, every now and then I get a, I, I get a glimpse of brightness, you know? Yeah. Hey, Rick, thank you. Have a good weekend and a happy Halloween. 800-848-9222. Joanne is in Connecticut. Hello, Joanne. Hi. First off, I still haven't got my T-shirt from when I played the contest. And I talked to Alex last week, and he said he'd do something about it. I don't think he did, so keep that in your mind. I will. Uh, uh, I you gave Alex your name. I'll follow up with him. He's not here for me to yell yeah. at him in person, but I will. I will ask no, him I about know. it. That's over why the I took weekend. the chance to do this. I didn't want you yelling at him. Okay. But um, yeah, I gave him all the information again. But I want to know who, what, when, and why are lobbyists existing? Why do they exist? Okay. Wait. Okay. So who, what? Uh, who made them come? Who made them come? Why are they there? When did they come? Lobbyists. You know, it's so funny that you say this because I had a, a long conversation with a friend of mine that uh, that I had dinner with the other day. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the role of lobbyists uh, tends to be obscured. And this is what my friend Billy and I was uh, were talking about the other day. So why do lobbyists exist? Lobbyists exist because of the First Amendment. Right. Um, and so. What you have the right to petition your government, right? And a lobbyist, that's what they're doing. They're asking a, a legislator or a bunch of legislators to uh, to pass a law or to repeal a law or take some sort of legislative 
action, right? Now, uh, there's all sorts of people that have developed an expertise in, you know, Curtis Lee likes to call it whining, dining, and pocket lining, in getting legislation passed. And there's a lot of people that happen to be well-connected, right? If you have uh, served in Congress, chances are you know a lot of people that are in Congress. I am all for um, doing away with that revolving door. I would even be fine with making it a lifetime ban. Once you serve in Congress, you can never be a lobbyist because we see too many people going into Congress and viewing that instead of a middle seat as viewing that as a lottery ticket. But the one thing that I want to um, make clear, though, is oh, everyone blames the lobbyists uh, for everything that's wrong with with whatever their view of the world is. And look, I blame the lobbyists for a lot of uh, what goes on, especially with a lot of foreign policy things that I don't like. But there's nothing that forces a politician to be bought off by a lobbyist. Now, if I if I believe passionately in something, I don't care if a lobbyist takes me out to dinner uh, every every night. I'm still not going to vote his way if I if I view if I don't think that that's the right thing for my constituents. So I think in some ways, the lobbyists. While I think we do need some sort of lobbying reform at the federal level, and in New York City we have had lobbying reform, and and to some extent New York City government is just as corrupt as it's always been. But um, I think the lobbyists provide a great scapegoat for politicians and the good government groups. In my view, one of the things that I think we need more of is I think we need more honest politicians, politicians that are not going to be bought off by lobbyists, that aren't going to be, um, you know, if if a lobbyist takes them out for drinks and uh, introduces them to, you know, uh, uh, some uh, it, it, it takes them to Broadway shows and winds them and dines them and introduces them to some pretty girls. I think we need politicians that still have a backbone and are willing to uh, vote the will of their constituents and not necessarily the way the the lobbyists go. But uh, so I'm all for reducing the revolving door, but. I don't want to make it sound like all the problems in government are the fault of lobbyists. A lot of the fault is one with the politicians themselves. And a lot of it is. Reed. Yeah. Well, but a lot of it is also just, you know, uh, to use the uh, the phrase from Lord of the uh, the Flies, maybe the beast is us. I think we need to look in the mirror at what we're doing and some of the people that we're electing and the kind of the the fact that we're letting these people run roughshod over the Constitution and our civil liberties, and it doesn't seem like that many people are getting too upset about it. Uh, So, Joanne, it's a great call and a great question. Thank you. 800-848-9222. I got to say, I did expect more people to be eager to chat about this uh, middle seat lottery, but it just goes to show you. You never know. As the more I do this, the more I realize that I have no idea what I'm doing. Now, as I mentioned, we are doing this program, as Joanne mentioned there, we are doing this program without the services of Alex Barnard. So, still pizza day. He got his cake, cupcake day. Yes, that is correct. So, the pizza comes, and I'm still trying to get... um, Everything done for the show. I'm starting. I'm trying to prepare before the show for my interview with Dr. Beitman. I'm trying to finish watching the Boris Karloff documentary so that I can at least speak about it intelligently. I'm trying to compile my list of denunciation folks. I'm trying to, you know, craft the show. And so 
I get the call that the pizza that I have ordered has arrived. And, all right, here's my opportunity. Alex always, since he's been kind of doing double duty running the local board for the local radio station in New York, he always makes it a big issue that he's not able to go down there for the pizza. So I said, all right, here's my opportunity. Let me take advantage of the Alex vacuum locally and see if we can get Alex's substitute to, um, you know, go down and get the pizza. So sure enough, I know it's Joe, Matt. I mean, you don't have to tell me his name. I know it's Joe. I mean, don't you think if I didn't know it was Joe, I would have asked what's the guy's name who's filling in for Alex before I started telling the story? Well, you still said his substitute. Yes, because I have a way of telling the story. Uh, you know, the name is so important. Yeah, right, right. What? What? Why? Yeah. To your point, if the name is so important, why is it so important that you have to tell me in the midst of a sentence that his name is Joe? If his name is not necessarily important to the story, I mean, I well, you said it. his substitute. Yeah, and you've been calling it his substitute all night. So I'm like, maybe you don't know his name. Look, you called me Pete for the first, like, month I was here. Well, you look more like a Pete. And (laughs) I I feel like we had a lot of Pete's here at that time. Well, so now that you know that Alex's substitute is named Joe, which I was about to tell you, I'm sure this story is much more rewarding to you and much more fulfilling. And I'm sure you can now picture all of the characters involved because now you're not just picturing a random Alex substitute. You're picturing someone that looks exactly... Like Joe. Yes, that is correct. So, say to Joe when the pizza arrives, hey, Joe. At that time, I actually didn't know his name, so I I think I either didn't say his name or I mumbled his name so that it could have been interpreted as one of any number of one-syllable names. But anyway, so I said, hey, Joe, can you... How would you feel about going downstairs to get the pizza? And now he's in the midst of running a local board for a nationally syndicated show at the time. And uh, he says, well, you know, that's, you know, uh, uh, let me know when it gets here. I said, it's here. He said, "Uh, okay, well, I don't mind going down, but I have to, I have to hit this break. And I said, oh, okay, I don't mind. I don't mind hitting the break for you. And then uh, he said, you know how to do that? I said, sure. I know how to, uh, I know how to do that. I've been running radio boards forever. Great. So he does me a favor. And now, as soon as he leaves, a couple of realizations come to me pretty apparently. One, now I'm sitting here in a different room, not doing the work that I asked him to go downstairs and help me out so that I could do the work for. So now I've gained nothing. I'm just now doing someone else's work, right? I could have easily just gone down and gotten the pizza myself. And not gotten any work done. So I've gained nothing. So the advantage of the substitute known as Joe going to get the pizza is gone, right? It does nothing. And the other thing that I realized is that I have no idea how to actually go to break on the current setup. I assumed that I did, but sure enough, I have no idea. And within seconds of um, Mr. Joe going downstairs to the pizza distribution center i uh hear the host of the program rita cosby said all right we're going to break and then she goes to break and i hear ads 
the network ads. I said, all right, well, maybe there's network ad playing. So I run into the control room that's running this network show, and I ask Kenneth and Matt Blaze, two seasoned radio professionals, I say, hey, so is there a network spot playing first and then a local spot? When do I fire off this local spot? He says, no, well, you got two minutes and uh, until we come back. That's when you got to do something. I said, well, okay. And then Kenneth comes back and he says, well, did you hit that break before? I said, no, I haven't done anything. So sure enough, I think we screwed up all sorts of things, but the joke is ultimately on me because... Not only did I not get to spend that three minutes preparing for the show, but because we missed, I guess, two and a half minutes worth of spots, I was then told that the local commentaries that I do for WABC in New York. By the way, if you're listening to the show on podcast or or you're listening in other markets and you're not hearing those local commentaries, you are missing out. These are some of the finest commentaries on all of radio. They've been compared to Charles Grodin, Paul Harvey, uh, whoever your favorite short-form monologist is. These these are award-winning short-form commentaries. If you ever want to hear them, you can just go and search Frank Morano interviews and more. That's part of the end more on any podcast app or, as Governor Cuomo would say, on Apple. You can find it on Apple. Just tell Apple Frank Morano interviews and more. It comes right up. Subscribe to it. It'll come to your phone every day. But. So um, I was then told that even though that I had screwed up just this one break, which I think was two and a half minutes, that I had to reduce the length of all of my top of the hour short form commentaries. So uh, one, uh, fine, I can move it from three minutes to two minutes. Okay. Another, I tried diligently to reduce it to two minutes Instead of my usual three, I couldn't do it. I said to Kenneth and Matt Place, I said, I need two minutes and 30 seconds. I don't care what has to happen. We need to make sure that, you you know, I can have two minutes and 30 seconds. So Matt Place says, all right, I'll give you your two minutes and 30 seconds. But on one condition, your next one's got to be a minute and a half. Fine. So this is the kind of negotiations that go on behind the scenes. So for those of you, let me save you from writing me a complaint email later about why are the short-form commentaries shorter than they normally are. It's because of my own hubris, much like Icarus flying too close to the sun. I sensed a void in Alex Barnard's absence and an opportunity to get the pizza brought up here for the masses, for everybody. While um, and that hubris was my undoing, and it was because of that hubris that I lost at least you know four minutes of of talk time. So my apologies to you for the short form commentary that you are uh, needing to deal with today. But eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. I'll tell you what we're going to do in just a minute. We're going to do the thousand dollar minute. If you are the seventh caller to 800-848-9222. We are going to give you an opportunity to answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. That's 800-848-9222. And if you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds, you will be $1,000 richer. This is your. This is even better than purchasing a middle seat on, um, on an, a Virgin Australia flight. This is a great opportunity. 800-848-9222, although it is a gamble. You might end up like Joanne in Connecticut and uh, and not get your shirt. But 
something tells me that was Alex Barnard's doing. He knew Joanne was going to come in, and he got another case of the Friday flu. $1,000 yes, minute straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. Singing Pet Cemetery. This is uh, the other side of midnight. I am Frank Morano. Halloween weekend. They call this Frankenstein Friday. Um, I am uh, very interested in that event at the uh, Chiller Theater in Parsippany that has apparently taken place this weekend. I'm not going to go. I'm not even going to hold out the possibility that I might go. If I'm ambitious this weekend, I will go to the Halloween party that I've already committed to. But uh, it's, you know, what I'm going to do this weekend, I'm going to vote and I'm going to watch the World Series. That Those are two things I can promise you. Oh, by the way, I didn't mention this before, but, um, well, uh, th- this is, we are going to see 27 straight days of football from now until November 22nd. Um, if you include... Pro football, the NFL, and college football, 27 straight days of football. So if you're a football fan, uh, this is a big month for you. All right, without further ado, let's try and give somebody an opportunity to win some money. The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Murano. Ah, yes, thank you, Chris Libertini. I've been informed that uh, Chris Libertini has these spies that listen to this program in this hour every, every morning, including Wayne Cabot, very popular news anchor in the New York area. Listens, and then every time uh, we mention Chris Libertini, he immediately reaches out to Chris Libertini to let him know he's been mentioned. So congratulations to you, Chris Libertini. This is your lucky day, and perhaps it will be the lucky day of Arnold in Patterson. Arnold, are you in Patterson, New Jersey? 
Yes, I am. Yeah. How do you like living in Patterson, New Jersey? Uh, it's, I live in a very nice section in a condominium. So, uh, I like it. Good. Okay. Well, I was pleased to see that the uh, Patterson Board of Education is going to be resuming in-person meetings. Uh, so that's uh, that's good. I like that mayor. The mayor there seems like a nice guy. I I've seen him on TV during council meetings, and he seems like he's he's doing better than the other mayors. There you go. In the yeah. Our mayors wind up in jail. Exactly. So as long as he stays out of prison, he's ahead of the game, right? All right. Um, Speaking of games, Arnold, you're familiar with this contest? I am. Great. Okay. Um, So let's just get started. The uh, timer will begin after I ask you the first question. Ready to go? Yes. What is the first letter in the alphabet? A. What prophetic dessert is often served with Chinese food? Uh, fortune cookie, almond what, cookie. Yeah. What U.S. senator from New Jersey is reportedly now under federal criminal investigation? Pascal. No, no. There's only two senators from New Jersey. One of them is it's now under federal investigation. Any guess as to who that is? No, ma'am. No. All right. I'm sorry. So, um, Arnold, you don't know New Jersey's two senators? I don't. Uh, well, so it, you got uh, Cory Booker and Bob Menendez. Now, it was announced yesterday, and, you know, uh, we, we've been covering it not only on this program but in the top of the hour news, and it's been national news as well that Menendez is now under a federal criminal investigation. Now that I mention that, does that sound familiar at all? It's The names sound very familiar. All right. Well, I, uh, but you, you don't follow, I guess, what goes on in, in Washington. Correct, but instead of the Patterson mayor going to jail, now he can just <laughs> exactly, exactly. All right, well, good. I'm glad. You know, I don't, I don't blame you. I'd, I'd rather talk to to you than than some of these other people that are so politically obsessed. Heaven forbid, I say something that somebody disagrees with, they're ready to uh, you know run me out of town. So uh, I'm glad you called. Thanks for participating. I'm going to put you on hold. We're going to give you a consolation prize of some sort. Okay. Okay, thank you. All right, uh, give your information to Joe. If you don't call him by his first name, Matt Blaze gets very upset. He's very protective of Joe. Wait, he's, he's Matt's assistant, right? That's how I know him. Uh, yeah, he's Alex, Alex Barnard's substitute. Uh, okay. Yes, that is correct. That's right. Thank you. Hang on, Arnold. All right. Um, maybe that was too tough for a question three that, um, you know, Bob Menendez. Well, was you. a little tough. I figure, you know, because I always try to include one current events question and figure he's in New Jersey. Even if you don't, if you haven't heard the news in the last day, I figure you got to know who one of your two senators are. But if it wasn't a New Jersey person from New Jersey, they wouldn't know at all. Even the guy in New Jersey didn't know. Would you have known that? I did know that. Yeah. Well, I I knew Menendez. I, I forgot the other center but i knew right. it was menendez okay. well, but, but again because that was what was in the news that's why we got it you know that's why we right put it um all right so that's that i'm sorry that um that arnold didn't win he seems like a, a very nice guy if you want to comment on anything we have covered thus far you're welcome to do so 800-848-9222 that's 800-848-9222 by the way want to wish a happy birthday to bill gates 
What do you think you get, Bill Gates, for his birthday? He's 66 years old today. I run into this once in a while with John Katzmatidis, right? Because John is, uh, you know, John is my boss, and he's always so generous uh, with with me. And if he has an occasion, a birthday or a Christmas, you'd like to do something nice. I usually end up getting a box of cigars or something, but it's very, um, you know, it's very difficult. Bill Gates is one of the richest men in the world. What do you get somebody like that for their birthday? Um, I guess maybe a COVID booster. You know, he'd be fond of that. All right. Uh, Caitlyn Jenner, 72 years old today. Julia Roberts, who appears not to be aging, is 54 years old today. So happy birthday to all of those folks. And um, in terms of the folks in my personal orbit, um, Queen City Councilman Vicki Palladino, doing a great job in the city council. She is it's celebrating her birthday today. Oh, it's my brother-in-law Dan's birthday today. So happy birthday to Dan O'Brien. I know he listens to this show uh, fairly, you know, fairly regularly. And I know my brother-in-law Josh listens to this show just about every day. So Josh, if you're listening, this is your reminder that it's your brother Dan's birthday today. I will have to shoot him an SMS text message. And also Suri Kassirer. Uh, who is one of New York's most powerful and influential lobbyists. It is her birthday today, sticking with that theme of lobbying. So that's that. And uh, today also happens to be National Chocolate Day, which I did not know, but it's very appropriate that it would happen this close to Halloween because a lot of people end up uh, buying chocolate candy and all sorts of other candy for the trick-or-treaters. And then they end up eating it themselves. I never was fond of chocolate. I did have some peanut M&Ms. I do eat those peanut M&Ms. I like those as far as candy goes that's up here. But um, eh, chocolate's not my favorite. Once in a while, you know, maybe it goes with a cup of coffee or uh, you know what? You know what I do like? I like dark chocolate, super dark. The more bitter, the better. I don't like, um, you know, Hershey's and stuff like that unless it's really dark and bitter. That's my, my jam. If it, with some red wine. And, um, you know, I never really thought that, and maybe this was my own naivete, that red wine would go well with chocolate. But it really does. And you know who turned me on to that? Peter Gotti, not the gangster, but the uh, son of John Gotti, the youngest son of uh, John Gotti. I haven't seen Peter in some time, but he's kind of a connoisseur of wine and, you know, coffee and everything. And he he said to me when I was uh, taking notes on all these things he was telling me about espresso and wine and this and that and cheese. He said, yeah, I've got all, sort of the, all these executive tastes, but uh, no executive bank account. And uh, sure enough, I can relate to that. But um, if you ever try some dark chocolate with uh, with red wine, a really nice glass of red wine, that really does hit the spot. So that's that. Hey, uh, I was told... By my friend Danielle, that there is a big problem with lice right now. Did you know that? Sure enough, this is lice season because I I guess it has to do with uh, the change in weather. And uh, she's in the lice business. And um, she did three lice cases on Wednesday And she asked me to warn the parents out there that it's lice season and that you should keep vigilant. Check hair daily. See, that's a very real 
threat right now is your child getting lice, unlike unlike the not-so-real threat of your child being given poison Halloween candy. But um, she's urging people to check hair daily, keep hair up when around other children, don't share costumes on Halloween, especially hats and wigs, avoid head-to-head contact when taking selfies. I mean, what 10-year-old is really going to follow that advice? Also, peppermint and tea tree oil are natural repellents. And I, I didn't know that. But those of you that are looking for a natural lice repellent, re- repellent think of peppermint and tea tree oil. And uh, call professional services if uh, you have lice because doing it yourself almost guarantees you will not get rid of everything and the nightmare just doesn't end. And uh, she said if anyone has lice questions, you can email her at gotliceNYC at gmail.com. That's gotliceNYC at uh, gmail.com. We're going to do 15 seconds of uh, of fame in just a bit. Um, speaking of 15 seconds of fame, David in the Bronx the other day, he mentioned, uh, and I had this on my list uh, that day because I got a kick out of it, but I didn't get to mention it, but he mentioned it, and folks might not know what, what he was talking about. That the world's dirtiest man has died. The world's dirtiest man. This is not a joke. This is not a a veiled shot at, uh, I don't know, Anthony Weiner or something. The world's dirtiest man is dead in Iran at 94 years old. Lo and behold, he died a few months after his first wash. Amu Haji, who did not bathe for half a century, he reportedly, who knows if the information we're getting is accurate, I'll tell you, the guy did not look clean. That's what I could tell you. Uh, If you want to see what he looked like, I'm going to uh, post this on my Facebook page at facebook.com slash moranofan, facebook.com slash M-O-R-A-N-O fan. Um, He would eat roadkill. He would smoke a pipe filled with animal excrement. The guy was filthy. The guy was the world's dirtiest man. He was a hermit. And he became famous for refusing to shower or refusing to wash for more than a half century. And um, he was covered in soot and living in a cinder block shack And he had not bathed with water or soap in more than 60 years. Villagers said he experienced emotional setbacks in his youth that led him to refuse to wash. Gee, you think? In 2014, the Tehran Times reported that Haji would eat roadkill, smoke a pipe filled with animal excrement, and he believed that cleanliness would make him ill. But a few months ago... Villagers had persuaded him to wash for the first time. So uh, after this gentleman's death, the unofficial record could go to an Indian man who has also not bathed for much of his life. Um, Kailash Kalau Singh. He has not washed for about uh, about 40 years. So that guy's a piker. I don't know why these villagers made him wash all of a sudden. Now, I'm sure he stank like you wouldn't believe.
But if a guy's made it to 94, not washing, kind of at that point, just let him go. Let him do his thing. You don't need to wash. And I would think because he believes that washing is something negative in his life, that a sudden change like that would lead to all sorts of psychological and emotional distress. So I think that was a mistake for these villagers to uh, to wash him. Uh, by the way, so I, I have a, a photo of the world's dirtiest man on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash Moranofan. I realized after I uh, said that I was going to post some of these pictures from the Gatsby party that most of them are on my wife's phone. So I'll post them later today when I when she wakes up and she sends them to me. I'll post them on there. I did share one or two on Instagram. Uh, you could find them at Morano Vision, M-O-R-A-N-O Vision. All right, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. That's if you're new to the show. That's where you can. Um, that's where you can be heard for uh, 15 seconds. Hey, I got a message here from a gentleman named Brandon who writes, I was calling number seven, but they wouldn't let me play. I played over a month ago. You let another caller play under the same circumstances last week. I still never got my prize either for the first time that I played. Uh, Matt Blaze, do you have any insight here? This fellow Brandon says he was calling number seven and we wouldn't let him play. Do you know anything about this? Uh, because he was not was within the limits. Uh, I see. It so was a rule thing. He claims that we let somebody else play under similar circumstances. I all I know is that I was told he played within the time. That's it. Only following orders, right? You know. That's it. So there you go, Brandon. We tried. We tried. Um, as far as your um, your situation, we will bring that up at the uh, post show meeting today. If you have not emailed me, Brandon, then uh, please email me so I could forward it. It's helpful if when people don't get their prizes after a time, they can email me because then I could follow up with promotions. I could just forward your email. And uh, then they have a record that I've asked. So you can email me if anybody um, want, has questions about that. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. That's Frank.M-O-R-A-N-O at WABCRadio.com. This is The Other Side of Midnight, 15 Seconds of Fame, straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash Boost by Tax Day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano.
This is the other side of midnight. Uh, we are going to do 15 seconds of fame in just a moment. You know, I have been, uh, I was just playing around with some AI created art, and uh, I just created one thing that I think I just created it. I did not create it, uh, a computer did. Uh, but I just created this one thing that I think looks pretty good. It's Darth Vader meeting Frankenstein. So I'm going to share this uh, on my uh, on my Facebook page. If you want to, I think it's I think it's kind of cool. Uh, if you want to see it, you can just go to Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. I'm going to link to it there. All right. Without further ado, it is time for you to be heard for 15 glorious seconds as part of The Other Side of Midnight. This is 15 Seconds of Fame. Kenny. Pamela. A shout out to Lou Costello, a native of Patterson, New Jersey, and never forgot Patterson. Formed a community pool. Very great guy. Roger. I don't know if you do this in your household, but anytime I open up a can of tuna in water, I always take the lid and squirt it out into a saucer to give to the cat. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Dom. NYPD officer Richard DeGuglielmo was an innocent man. Mike. Tomorrow, Frank. Uh, Bring on game one of the World Series. The greatest game is the game of failure. And I hope Houston kicks some serious butt over Filthy Delphi, I always call them. And Dusty Baker, great uh, player, manager, coach. I always like to have a toothpick every once in a while. Rim shot. Mike. Morning, Frank. A great short commentary on the Love Gov. As far as I know, still clueless as of this call. Charles. Halloween. Uh, sign in, at a cemetery. Due to a strike, work will be done by a skeletal crew. <laughs> Andres. WABC New York. Keith. Hey, listen, there's a lot of talk about perception out there. I think the mayor's got to go back to fighting crime. Don't do the boogaloo. Go back to the one, two, three step and... Joe! Joe from Ronkonkoma. Great show, Frank. I want to denounce morons that drive with their high beams on at night. Have a great weekend, Frank. Jake! Jeff! Hey, Frank, you you mentioned that you you like Margo Adler, and every Halloween you do a show about the Wiccan and the the roots of the the, the, uh, tradition. Yeah, that's true. Hey, maybe we'll do something fun in that line, in that vein on right. uh, Monday. And finally, Peter. Hey, Frank. Uh, Bernie McGurk Studio. Welcome to Bernie McGurk Children today. Looking forward to hearing them and love your show. Thank you. It was good to see you at uh, St. Uh, St. Patrick's there, Peter. Thank you. Have a great weekend, everybody. I hope you have a wonderful Halloween. Stay in touch with me. Uh, email, social media is all great. I'll be back on Monday. We've got some fun stuff planned for Halloween, some scary stuff, some fun stuff. Hopefully you uh, don't party too much. Enjoy the World Series. Frank Moreno, good day.